Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one, each episode myself, and revolving co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a Who Should Have Won podcast. We're here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email, which is, of course, bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. You can also follow us on any one of our socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Best Picture Cast. So the email is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. The social media accounts are Best Picture Cast. And we are back. Back in the saddle again. Do we not have a TikTok? We do not have a TikTok just yet. We're, uh, we're going to work on that. That's good. I don't know what a TikTok is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're back uh, for episode 22. Episode 22. And it is uh, a new year, believe it or not. Uh, when this airs, it will be 2021. And not only is it a new year, but we are also in the final month of our first year as a podcast. So we will be celebrating our one-year anniversary the first week of February. We're all very excited for that. We have uh, a couple returning co-hosts here with us today. And I'll uh, not waste any more time but to introduce them. And first we have, you may have heard him on the Shakespeare in Love podcast, possibly the A Man for All Seasons podcast, and most recently, Mutiny on the Bounty he is my younger brother, Brennan B. Brennan. Hey, how's it going? Good to be back. Happy to be here and glad to be talking about this movie. That's it. A new year, a new movie. And introducing as well, who's joining us today, is a, maybe not a trained expert, but a global expert. Is that right? Yep. Global movie expert. Global RDB movie, here. Yes. Okay. The self-proclaimed global movie expert is here. Glad to be back. Yes. And you were with us last week for An American in Paris. Yes. That's Good right. Good episode. Good episode. I was happy with it. I love that episode. It's one of my favorites. We had nice conflicting vibes going on there. with Or conflicting conflicting ideas and congruent vibes, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some interesting tie-ins to this movie we're doing today as well. And I think we'll get to some of that. And that movie, of course, is Amadeus. It's another period uh-huh. piece, so I guess, Brennan, you're getting saddled into the period piece, guy. And I'm the musical guy. And, and I was excited until I knew I was in the room with experts here. I yeah. Like, now I'm scared. <laughs> well, we're not trained experts, so you don't have to be too worried. So, I will start off with this question right out of the gate here. Is this a musical? Because I am to be listed as a musical. When I read that back in the, we were doing the Going My Way episode and saw that, I was a little confused because I didn't remember it as being a musical. Do we consider this one a musical? No. This is not a musical. It's a period piece uh, regarding a musician's life, not a musical. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, and I think, you know, we had this debate a little bit on the Chicago episode of what makes a musical, what doesn't. Again, if we're doing this Walk the Line and Ray and this, it doesn't mean that it's a musical. Musicals are, I think, more of that story-based. La La Land is a musical. Right. You know, producers, a musical. This is not a musical. Yeah, so we're calling out IMDb for listing this as a musical. Well, it's not them. I didn't, wasn't, isn't that an Oscar? Wasn't it up for, is there a best, they won a Tony. Well, oh, that's for plays. Okay, that's so, for plays, yeah, not when, just musicals. We do plays, and then also the Golden Globes. Like the Golden Globes has that music slash yeah, comedy I knew I read category. It somewhere, didn't it win that? And they had Eternal Sunshine as Eternal Sun- Sunshine and Spotless Mind as a comedy, as a comedy slash musical. 
Well, that's a no weird. good musicals that year. Well, you're right. <laughs> well, I think that's part of it. It's probably stacked in dramas, and they like. I guess they justified it as a comedy because Jim Carrey's in it. Maybe I don't know what they're what they're doing. So it's I not saw a that musical this either, week. though. So it was wacky. It just we'll twice. always take a chance to call out the Golden Globes every chance. If play. someone read the info for that and knew nothing about it, and they're like, "Oh, let's throw it on. It's a nice little." You know, comedy musical, and then they watched it. They'd be like, "That was not a comedy yeah, I'm musical." I'm not smiling. <laughs> so, which one was more wrong? Yeah. <laughs> so the movie today is Amadeus, and before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about what we are sipping on. And Artie, since you uh, mm-hmm. just cracked her open, let's. Uh, what do you have over there? Figured I'd welcome the segment. Burial Beer Company has made a lovely IPA called A Modern Ballad of Self Torture. I figured that kind of went along with the uh, very applicable little yes. theme in this movie. And, and it's a uh, very uh, tough to get beer around here. This is from North Carolina. Okay, this well, was canned like three weeks ago. And the name of the brewery again is Burial Brewing Burial Beer Co. Mm. Burial Beer Co. Very nice, Brennan. What do you have here today? I've got the uh, wonderful Chris Peroni. Ah, Peroni, and, and it's straight from Italy. Yes, we do have the uh, Italian character in this. As we will find out, Mozart quite loved the Italians. Yes, right. Okay, very nice. And I have, we're bringing back the Von Trapp family, the Von Trapp Brewing. I believe Joey had this a couple weeks, so it's a little shout-out to our Sound of Music episode, which is one of our favorites we had a couple of weeks ago. We're recording in the same studio that we recorded that episode in. And I have the Vienna Austrian-style lager. A little of Austria and a lot of Vermont. So it's the Von Schropp Brewing Company in Stowe, Vermont. Cool. So this movie, Amadeus, you both have seen this movie several times. This movie goes back. It was not a first viewing for you guys. This is a second viewing for me. So I had seen this probably eight to ten years back. So at once on both of your recommendations, believe it or not. I know, uh, Artie, when you you know heard that I was doing this, you kind of looked at the list and you said, oh, wow, have you seen Amadeus? Is that one of the ones you saw? And I said, no. And you're like, ah, you got to check it out. And then, Brendan, you kind of did a similar thing as well. That being said, Brendan, what is your first experience with this movie? My first experience with this movie is in high school. I had a uh, band teacher. He would show it to the students every year. And so my first time in his class, showed it. And then I think I had him at least two other times. I got a very musical take on the movie as we were watching it. He would relate to uh, the musical aspects of the movie, which I know I said this is not a musical, but it does um, apply to the theory of music and the, the practice of music, and that's that's kind of more what I'm saying in the musical aspects of the movie. Yeah, and, and there, there are definitely a bunch of different ways you can kind of look at this one, and I can definitely see the academic end from a music standpoint. Uh, we'll talk about the thematic end of things, too, as we get a little closer to this. But Artie, what was your first experience here? I, for whatever reason, in my uh, early 20s, got into a phase where I really liked Mozart's music. And I bought, like, an eight-CD compilation. One was operas, piano concertos. And I, uh, I just, I loved all his music. And I watched the movie Amadeus just one morning laying in my bed. Watched the whole thing and just loved it. I, it was awesome movie. Wow. Okay, yeah, so now this one, I gotta be honest, I was kind of dreading this one a little bit coming in. I'm not totally sure why. I remembered close to nothing about it other than liking it, but I think it was one of those where I had known its reputation coming in, and I had both of you guys saying how much you enjoyed it. So I think that kind of coached me along in liking it the first time. I don't know that my like mental headspace at that time was really up for absorbing it. 
since then, you know, we've done a bunch of these movies here in Prepared a lot, and, and you know, this time around, uh, instantly I got sucked into it and, and found a whole world of appreciation for it within the first hour. And then, you know, within, this is a three-hour movie. We all watched the director's cut. Is that yes. correct? It's the only version I can find. Yeah, I th- it it's seems the like they've thing. siphoned out the other yeah. the other version. So, like, the, the three-hour director's cut was streaming. What, are there some more yeah. opera scenes? Uh, yeah, some, we'll some go over that. We do have, we, we, we go over, we have a bunch of Twitter questions to go over, and one of them includes the uh, director's cuts. So we'll talk a little bit at the end about oh, cool. what was included and what was yeah, not. Yeah, because I couldn't, watching it, I couldn't figure out what was Yeah, I remember, I felt like was, I remembered all of it. I was like, maybe the nudity scene wasn't in there, or, but uh, then I remember it being. That was definitely in there. <laughs> I yeah. remember that. Right. So, uh, <laughs> it, there, it was, the original version, the theatrical version, was two hours and 40 minutes. And you minutes. may have seen the director's cut back when you watched originally, because the nudity scene was one of the scenes that were cut out for that theatrical version. Then I've okay. seen the director's yeah, cut, because so yeah, I bought yeah. a DVD, so I may have bought the director's cut. Yeah, whereas I did not remember the nudity scene at all, so I think I had seen originally okay. the theatrical, which is, I think, also why I may have appreciated it a little more this time around. But so, we will, <laughs> uh, not just because of the nudity, but because of the, thema- <laughs> the thematic... That's two reasons you appreciate it. Yeah, but I mean, hey. Well, and I uh, saw it in school, so it could have just been the teacher's teacher's cut, right? The music teacher's (laughs) cut. So uh, before we do the whole deep dive, I want to remind anyone who's listening, if you have the time and you enjoy this podcast, if you've listened to a few episodes before, or if this is your first one, if you can subscribe to uh, the podcast on whatever platform you're watching, and if the platform you're watching has the option to write a review, that helps us a lot. I know Apple podcasts has the subscribe and the review so if you could go ahead and help us out with that if you have the time that's a big help helps our visibility helps our searchability and uh helps us get get out because i know all these guys put a lot of work into this and and are uh all about it so any any little bit of help is goes a long way and i did mention too we do have a few mailbag questions for a little later on in the podcast too we got some from twitter and from Instagram. So if you, in future episodes, if you want to be a part of that, just hit us up. We'll always put a tweet out or a message out on Instagram saying that we're recording and we're looking for questions. So if you hit us up with that, we always shout out the names and everything from there. Are we ready to, to deep dive here, boys? Absolutely. Ready to go? Okay. Yep. So the year, it's 1984. This is a birth year for us. If here, we'll drop the curtain here. Me and Artie. Yeah, I barely uh, made it, but I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the U.S. presidential election saw incumbent Ronald Reagan defeat former Vice President Walter Mondale in a landslide. Mondale was the Vice President under Jimmy Carter, and he's still alive and kicking today. He's 92 years old, as the, at the time of this recording, at least. The World Series was between the Detroit Tigers and the San Diego Padres. Detroit defeated San Diego in five games. Oddly enough, this is our third Detroit Tigers World Series win this season, season two of BPC. There were only four, so... Coincidental enough, this was one of only two World Series appearances for San Diego. The other one, Brennan, you were around for was your first episode, which was 1998, Shakespeare in Love. The MVP of the 1984 World Series was recently inducted Hall of Famer Alan Trammell. The Tigers, who were then managed by Sparky Anderson, have not won a World Series since. Billboard number one song of the year. It was When Doves Cry by Prince. How do we feel about Prince? I, lo- I love Prince. You're into Prince. I like his music. Not like when I Prince? see him singing his music, I feel weird. But uh, really, <laughs> yeah, he's I don't know. See, no, I'm Prince not. Is unbelievable. He's like Prince... licking his guitar and stuff. Prince doesn't do it for me musically. I, I appreciate him and respect him, but I don't like throw Prince songs on when I'm 
just driving around and stuff, uh, you know? No, I mean, he gets you more in the mood than that. I don't think you can just drive and listen to Prince. <laughs> I have a playlist with him, him on He's there. He's on the playlist. He's got Second some songs. Of all, he has a great cameo in the show New Girl. I don't know if any of you watch it. He's, I have he's awesome. I have seen New Girl. No, but I have great. just heard from another full-grown man that that show is very, very good. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. He's, I think he's got a couple of little acting cameos here and there. I don't have any of them off the top oh, of my yeah. head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because no one doesn't want Prince in their show. And he was nominated for an Oscar this year, too, because uh, Purple Rain was one of the movies that came out this year. So. Yeah. It was up for Best Score, I think. But the Oscar for Best Picture went to Amadeus. And Amadeus was definitely the bell of the ball at the Oscars that year. It won eight Oscars mm. total. It was up for 11. So of the 11 Oscars it was up for, it took home eight, including Best Picture, Best Lead Actor, F. Murray Abraham, Best Director, Milos Forman, Best Adapted Screenplay, Peter Schaefer. Best Art Direction and Set Direction. Best Costume Design, Best Sound, and Best Makeup. Was also nominated for, but did not win, Best Lead Actor, Tom Holsey. Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. Pretty, in, pretty cool to have two Best Actor nominees in the same year from one movie. Yeah, Both and lead I'm actors. happy to see that, too. Yeah, me too. Because you know, it seems like nowadays they... they They'll force one into the supporting actor Yeah, into the category fraud, where they make a guy who really was a lead kind of play in that supporting role. It's hard to say who's the actual lead there. Right. Right. Yeah, and we've seen it a couple times. Brendan, last time you were here, we saw with Beauty and the Bounty. That actually had three actors up for lead actor. Yeah, that's another one. And uh, Going My Way was another episode where we had two two lead actors in there, too. Both Uh, did a great job. Really, really different performances. (laughs) Both really great performances. And we'll... Certainly get into that along with the others. Amadeus. It's directed by Milos Forman. It's produced by Saul Zanitz. It's based on a play by Peter Schaefer, and the screenplay was an adaptation of that play, also by Peter Schaefer. He adapted his own work. Uh, the music editor was Mark Adler, and the cinematographer was Miroslav Andruchik. Uh, the movie starring F. Murray Abraham, Tom Holsey, Elizabeth Berridge, Jeffrey Jones, Roy Dotris and Vincent Schiavelli. And yes, it was awarded the Oscar for Best Picture. And me and Artie were joking a little earlier, it was it was an award that was botched there at the delivery. <laughs> our yeah. our old friend at BPC here, Sir Lawrence Olivier, SLO. Yeah, that wasn't really fair. I think he was like ninety years old. They like shuffled him out there with Suffering the envelope. From dementia. Yeah, he couldn't yeah, really he, see. Oh, and he got it wrong? So well, he no, opens he opens the envelope and he just yells out, Amadeus. He doesn't go yeah, in. Yeah, he just and walked the nominees out. are. He just yells Amadeus. Just walked out That's and opened amazing. the envelope and said, Amadeus. And you can hear like <laughs> he opens the envelope and you can hear like people rustling and whispering, Oh, no, 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 no. I think and someone then, ran out and read it for him. Yeah. He's just like at the ninety years enough of the ceremony it's on the day so everyone go home <laughs> the yeah. only word he said that he well, yeah, I know, out of there. but before he went out he actually said he goes, I hope that I can do this, giving this award justice. The winner's Amadeus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I can do this justice, but I'm immediately going to screw it up. Oh. Uh, poor, poor SLO. But he uh, will always have a place in the BPC Hearts up here, especially Grant C's impression of him smoking cigarettes. <laughs> uh, so this movie, guys, first thoughts, first impressions. Brendan, why don't you start? The, so on the rewatch here, I, so I always looked at this as a, as a great rivalry. You know, I don't think it's a true life rivalry. That's insignificant to the movie. Mm-hmm. Great rivalry that Amadeus doesn't even realize is going on. Yeah. On my most recent watch, I came to the realization that there's there's a third figure in the rivalry, and it is 
Salieri and his con- concept of God. Uh, he's actually rivaling with God at the same time. That throws a whole other layer that kind of blew me back. So uh, the rewatch was, was pretty big for me. Yeah. Artie, this time around, your first impressions? Uh, really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I love it because it's just like they just drop this American guy into, you know, whatever, 1800 Vienna. Like, he has no accent. And he just acts like an American. He, he acts like he's, like he doesn't fit in with the world. Like, he, everything's so formal and everyone dresses like George Washington. Very entertaining. Uh, you know, doing the analysis on it rather than just watching it for a movie, it still came through as very entertaining, very engaging. All the music's awesome. Both, a lot of great acting performances. I said to Kieran earlier, very hard to find an LVP for this movie. One eventually stood out, but... Yeah, he he casted this one definitely very, super particularly, and something that we talked... Milos Forman also directed a movie we covered already in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Myself and Joey R. did that episode, and we waxed poetic over the cast in that, and just how perfectly that cast was assembled. The cast was assembled very carefully again this time around. I was listening to Milos Forman talk a little bit about this, and one of the things he said was he hates movies where halfway through the movie you see characters come up that you're supposed to know who they are, but you don't remember them because there's too many characters floating around and there's too many unrecognizable faces. He wanted recognizable faces for every single person who had a speaking role in this movie. And that shows. There's a distinct look to F. Murray Abraham, and there's a distinct look to Tom Holstead's Mozart. And you, you get to know these people through their faces and through their reactions. The facial reactions of this movie are just... Tremendous. My favorite casting is the Emperor and his three cronies. (laughs) They're awesome. Yes. The one guy who's like every breath is his last breath. He's constantly sweating. (laughs) Everything's so labored. Right, there's the two Italians and then the one guy who actually likes Mozart. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and and that was, I think, when that quote that Milos was talking about was in specifically in reference to those three guys. Yeah. They didn't want them just to be the cronies. Right. You know, they had to have some distinct look to them. They, he also did that with um, Salieri's chauffeur, the guy, his like house servant. Mm. Very memorable face. You, you knew when he was in the scene. Who He keeps ringing when he rings the bell, who comes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, the, the two in the beginning, I felt, the two servants in the beginning, I felt are very distinguishable. That one guy, I feel like, is in every movie. I don't know his name. I don't think anyone knows his name. He's in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, too, which is the other Milo oh, Foreman movie. Yeah, Vincent yeah. Chiavelli. Yeah, yeah he's one of the, yeah. the psych ward people. And so he's got the ice cream, and he's trying to convince Salieri to come out of the room. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, and how about the other guy who's just licking the ice cream with his tongue right <laughs> out like of Like a the, dog. About to give it to this old guy. Like, that's disgusting. Well, Salieri's in the room uh, slitting his throat. Yeah, and they're talking to him like he's a dog. They're like, you want a treat? Open up. Like, Yeah, so what you know, we're, I guess we're basically getting is there is he must, he's living on his own estate, I guess, at that point. And then once he tries to take his life, then they send him off to the uh, psych ward. There's yep. a nice little callback to One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Milo Foreman yeah. has a boner for psych wards. <laughs> he's reminding us of his, of his roots. Yeah. The Salier is essentially a, a self-defeated shell of what he once was. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. And and now I want to ask this. What did you guys think of, like, his look as an old guy? The makeup and everything, did it... He was hard to look at. That's it was kind of, sure. like, creepy. Did, did you think the makeup was... Not great. Yeah, I had a little issues. I mean, I know they took a lot of pride in it. I think it was a little bit probably 80s in there with it, and... 
Okay. I didn't have that feeling at all. I just, I see the guy's teeth and I'm like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. his teeth were, were gross. <laughs> this guy did not do well in life. <laughs> yeah, and you know, an interesting thing too, and I wonder if this had an effect, is they, they did not use any artificial lighting for this entire movie. Everything was natural light. So there was no light bulbs on set. Everything right. was just, so I wonder if maybe prosthetic makeup at that time, does it, does it react differently to, to Hollywood lighting or how that works I, I don't know that might have a thing with it but to me I just look at me just look like the painting from Ghostbusters 2 yeah he looked like you he know? was melting <laughs> as just, the movie was yeah, this, going this, on this, this old kind of ogre that's funny I didn't, I didn't see that at all but the lighting is very interesting because the whole movie all the settings have a very rustic feel and, mm-hmm. I, and it's probably not having that artificial lighting and everything feels very I think rustic. they're also all real settings except for I think they made one opera house as a stage and maybe one other set everything else was filmed in like a real house or a real castle so it's right. all like very detailed yeah and it's kind what, of how it felt it yeah. definitely you, feel, you definitely come through and what a glaring contrast to last week <laughs> when we discussed in American Paris where right. it was filmed in MGM Studios and everything is a, is a built set and they did a nice artistic job with, with the man-made set of Paris. But, you know, using the authentic streets of Europe here just totally brings, makes this movie, it puts it in a different category. Totally, I think. totally. Milos yeah. Forman said, there's only three cities that we're going to film this thing in. Otherwise, we're not going to do it. Those three cities being Vienna, Austria, uh, Budapest, and Prague, Czechoslovakia, which is what they ended up filming it in. And I guess uh, he's a Czech Oh, okay. Yeah, so great vibes around the streets, all that, all that natural setting. It just, it just created that authentic thing, and I think the lighting totally worked that way too. Yeah, I agree. Very, really well directed movie. Very well shot too. First encounter there between between Solieri and the priest. Definitely a memorable scene. It's one of the ones that I totally popped back at me. The they play the old name the tune. Yes. You know, have you heard this one? Have you heard this one? Yeah. And I love the other one. He's like, maybe you heard this one. The guy rolls his eyes like, Jesus, we're doing this again. Yeah. Like, and then he plays the of uh, the well known. Yeah, the well-known Mozart, and that really kind of sets the tone for where we're headed with this movie, and and you get the professional jealousy right out of the gate. Right, it's, and it's also a reminder: this guy's in a mental institution, so the priest is here as like, you know, a doctor to a patient. He's like, this, who's this crazy guy telling me he's famous? There's a scene we glossed over quickly that is appreciated. It's appreciated more on rewatch when he is being transported from his house to the hospital. They pass by a party, and the party, everyone's dancing to Mozart. Is that right? Yeah. I missed that. <laughs> so he looks over, he's like, oh, oh he looks wow, in the I window. Oh, I missed that. So too. They, they're wow. having a party to Mozart. So, like, as he's dying, he hears Mozart, everyone's dancing to Mozart. It's wow. just haunting him everywhere he goes. Yeah, and you don't get that the first time through, but the, the second time I picked it up. So I have to bring this up, Artie. Okay. Voiceover. Did it hurt this movie at all? Did the usage of it stand out to you? Were you okay with it? Completely fine with it because it's not. It, you see where he's speaking from. Okay. He's in a room speaking to someone. He's telling you a story. He's at, they actually show you telling the, him, yeah. telling and the, the story. And they cut back. And to they it. cut back. Yeah, it's very tastefully done. I honestly barely even notice it because they smoothly transition from him talking to yes. then the story without the voiceover. Right. Yeah. You certainly forget, and it's. I think it's on par with Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is the same way. He's on a bench yep. talking to someone. You know. Yeah. And yeah, a lot. Was... A lot of it's his thoughts. It's inner monologue to himself. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also, there is, while we live in the past with this movie for the majority of the movie, the story is anchored in the present. And so much of his phenomenal acting throughout this whole movie 
is done when he's the old man. You know, just the, sure. the, the real moments of just this broken life, uh, that uh, torture, as he says later on. Uh, he also I, has these great reverent moments where he puts his hand on his chest and he's like, ah, just like a, like he can hear the music when it's not there. He's just yeah. taking it in. Yeah, and and the music in this movie, I mean, it sounds like this. Is there any way to stay it with, without sounding like trite with it? Like, I mean, it, it takes on a character of its own in this whole movie. Just the little, just the little cuts you can see the characters looking up at the sky and the music just playing and them hearing it inside inside their heads just real real cool stuff and i and i i don't think anything gets replayed throughout the whole movie i think that everything every time something's played it's the first time it's the and first time in the last day they move on to something else yeah very he has enough material to do that way <laughs> that's right that's right you're working off of mozart's body of work here yeah i mean like i had an eight cd set and that's just his really 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 good ones yeah one of the early moments that i think really kind of establishes the solieri character is when they show him as a child and they kind of talk about how he hears of who Mozart is and how he kind of looks up to him and, and his dad hates his, music. There'll be no music. His dad's a businessman. He's finance and... Yeah, and Brennan, you mentioned Solieri's relationship with his god or what he perceives to be his god. And it shows him praying to the crucifix. Please, I will indebt my life to you if you let me be a, a successful composer. I will indebt everything I have. I will, I will um, pledge my chastity and my right. industry. And, and then a miracle happened. And the miracle is his father he's, having a heart attack. He's no, he's down. choking on or cho steak, choking, Yeah, choking on, the, on, a, on, a piece, on a piece of prawn or something. Yeah. And, oh, what a wonderful miracle. God made this happen. And it's like, bro, like, yeah. or do you think that you're, you pray through crucifix and that... And, your your dad choked on a prawn, and now that's like a miracle from God. Like that shows you the sick state of mind that this man is in, and, and it has always been in. Has, yeah, yeah from youth. From youth. And I'm assuming he's Catholic because he's Italian at that time. Most he's he's got to be Roman Catholic. It's it's such a it's so contrary to the concept of Catholicism. Is is you you ask God to not want anything. It's, you know, and right. he's well, praying he's for everything he wants and he's like spiteful when he doesn't yeah. get it. Like, and he's more on par with making a deal with the devil than he exactly. is praying we, to God. We learn more and more as we go that this is not a religion thing. This is, he is, he, everything that he yearns for is selfish. Everything that, that he wants is just how it relates to him. He doesn't care about anybody else but himself and we, and then when we get even deeper into his relationship with Mozart, then it gets real, uh, real intense as far as the damage that he, or at least he tries to do to to music moving forward, in 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 his selfish pursuits. But I, yeah, I thought that whole thing, and there are daddy issues laced into this thing, for sure. Whether it's uh, Papa, <laughs> whether it's yeah, him him just basically saying it's a miracle that his dad died in the in the start, and then yeah, Mozart later on with his relationship. Speaking of the painting from Ghostbusters too. that painting of his dad every time they show it it's like ah, it, it's like it's like the drum the yeah. drum set in Step Brothers it does zip from like Solieri being like a, a little boy to him just being this grizzled old guy like, like F. Murray Abraham does not have a boyish boyish good looks no. right? he's, he's got a grizzled Cheese grater face, unfortunately, but uh, so it makes that jump from like child to F. F. Murray Abraham real, real steep. Yeah, the maid, it, 
the old Salieri looks like a, a burning candle. Like his face <laughs> is turning to mush and dripping off. The casting of this movie we talked a little bit about, but, I mean, he didn't want stars in here. He didn't want recognizable faces in here. Is that right? Yeah. Because and, a couple guys almost got some big roles. And the other thing, Artie mentioned this up a little bit with the American accent. We've talked about this a bunch of times uh, on BPC so far. Accents from our very first episode, the pilot episode, departed with all the wacky accents that are going on there. (laughs) And uh, Brendan actually, Muley and the Bounty was the other one that we talked about too. Like, Clark Gable just decided he's not going to have a British accent. And Mules Foreman told the cast, I want you to speak with your American accents. I don't want you to attempt any kind of an accent. I want the audience focused on the characters. I don't want them getting caught up in the setting. Mm. The characters are what I want to come through. And boy, is this a character movie. Oh, yeah. he uh, Mozart himself is an all-time movie character. It's like there's a movie going on, and then he's, like, moving throughout the movie, like this bright, shining star. It's, it's so interesting. You know, it's, it's a cool concept that he did that, but it also was probably a design of practicality as well. I mean, you have Germans, Italians. You know, you have all these different nationalities to try to get each accent to be... True to form. You get be, Troy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do, oh, we, right. and do right. we want to listen to Mozart and the Emperor speak with heavy German yeah, accents? I, I the whole yeah, I think he made a great choice there. And we've talked about this a bunch of times on these episodes is do you try to go for that authentic accent or do you maybe just let them do their thing? And that's one of the things I love about The Departed is they're all kind of doing their own thing. You know, the, it's, the, the one movie where that just blows up is Valkyrie uh, with Tom Cruise and. Uh, I forget who else. It's a German plan to overthrow Hitler, but they all just use their own accents. So there's British Nazis, Tom Cruise just speaking American. <laughs> there's people with subtitles because they speak. It, it's terrible. It works here, though. If anyone's sitting here watching early on and like, well, why don't they have German accents? Or what country are we in? Or what? That gets lost pretty quickly. When it doesn't you start really matter. To... So before we really get into the, the relationship of Mozart and Solieri, were there any deeper or more than surface level themes that stu- stood out to you in this in this watch. So I, I've touched on it already, but I feel it's very common to mistake divine providence for personal yearning. And that's, mm-hmm. as we talked about, that's what Salieri does. And so that's, um, I think, a huge theme in, in this movie. That and then the concept of rivalries is, you see them in history, you see them in art. It's what drives people to be great. And I mentioned before, Mozart doesn't realize that Salieri has a rivalry with going, but Mozart has his own rivalry. And it's, whether it's himself or his father or his image of his father, that's, and success. that's his own. And, right. and, what, and what he thinks success is. And uh, I mean, uh, one kind of theme that I looked at a little bit with this, and there's obviously obsession and, and jealousy are, are laced all over this. There's a level of, of them talking about professionalism and what what you take from your role in life and what you give back to it. Solieri's character, we talked a little bit about the relationship of what he thinks God is, but his job, his literally just his job, he spends all the power that he has sabotaging Mozart just out of personal jealousy. And he squashes his shows and he makes his the people of the uh, of the town think that he's, you know, a deviant. And so he squashes his lessons, but all, and he, he hurts the spread of Mozart's music, which is the work of a virtuoso, just for his own selfish des- desires 
They're it's, very childish. Mm. Um, Mozart's just kind of like a brat who doesn't want to do what he's supposed to do. He just wants to do what he wants to do all the time. Like, he can't... He's terrible with finances. And Salieri's just like, uh, well, if, you, if you're not going to play my game, I'm taking my ball and no one's playing. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. It's his attitude. Like, they're two children. They, and they have, like... But they're friends, kind of like children in a weird way. You know, you could be you could have friends all through elementary school that you don't really like that you're friends with. You're not nice to each other, but you're friends. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Solieri is totally the guy who's like he's a company guy and he wants to do everything he can to make sure the company succeeds until he doesn't get the promotion and then he wants the company to go out of business. Like right. that's just right. how right. he is. Like it, real quick to the other the other thing about that I just thought of this to being childish is Salieri loves sweets. He loves, even at the end of the movie, oh, we're going to have your favorite thing. It's yeah, like yeah. butter with sugar on it. Like, right. what? who eats that? But the, it's very, like, the, he has a sweet tooth, and, you know, Mozart has no self-control. Right. And and I think Salieri's, if we're going to say sin, is good old classic jealousy. Mozart has that kind of weird pride sin, and mm-hmm. it's that he is so talented, he has no shame and and he just he's always right so why bother dealing with all these people who are all wrong it's a little if you ever watch the show house i mean it's the same thing it's the unappreciated artist right yeah you have a you know you have a financially struggling man who can't get a lesson because everyone thinks he's a deviant because you had solieri spreading rumors he finally Those gets a job. Those might not be like in, in, incorrect rumors. Like he is kind of a fiend. They say it throughout. Yeah, but there was definite rumor spreading going on. Well, totally. On there, he's like, going out of his know, way. Yeah, he's going out of his way to tarnish his name. He can't get a gig. He can't get a, a lesson. Then finally gets one. It storms off because he's insulted that the dog, you know, that the, the that he wanted gr- to play for the dog. Great right? character. The guy with the dog. Yes. <laughs> play! Yes. Yelling at his daughter to play yeah. the piano. She's obviously mortified. And, and I feel like we've all met that character somewhere in our own life. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. It's cool guy. that they existed yeah. hundreds of years ago. He too, has you know? the one dog that won't shut up. Meanwhile, the other four are like wrestling and barking, but he wants to make sure this one dog yeah. doesn't bark while the music plays. Meanwhile, the guy looks like he's about to explode from high <laughs> blood pressure. Like, worry about other things, dude. And then when Mozart plays, the dog calms down. So the dog calms down while Mozart's playing, and the guy's like, Keep playing! That's not going to help him stay calm. I want to talk a little bit about Solieri's first encounter with Mozart. And he's in the room wondering if, if, you can, if greatness looks like something. He's try, trying to guess whose face is Mozart. And, uh, and Even that was a little childish because Mozart's running around playing tag and Salieri sneaks in, sneaks desserts, and then is hiding. Yeah. Like He's not supposed to be there. So they're both being like kids. Yeah, and and he says, you know, that changes that changed my life that day meeting him, because he sees him rolling around on the ground like playing the you know backwards he, talk with yeah. His then he refer, then he refers to him moving forward as the creature. Yeah, the, oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I love, love that. that. I love that. The creature. He sees Mozart now as a crude individual, where in his mind he built him up to be this pristine uh, member of the arts. If someone's going to be this talented at at making music, surely they had to be this super elegant elite person. Then he just sees this like rascal running around on the floor, rolling around. Right, totally not behaving like a gentleman. Yes, yeah. yeah, he's, he's late for he's his late. own show. Yeah, yeah, discuss it, and then he sees the page of music, and sees what he has designed, and then that's when we get that 
that great. I love all yeah. those scenes of him just fantastic. appreciating. He's Mozart's biggest fan. Yeah. Oh, oh and he hates it. He's like, it's. I love that. He, yeah. We he, see later on when he's sabotaging the shows. That one I made sure only had five shows before it was canceled. I was at all five of them. Yeah. You know, because he, he's right. up there just loving it. And when Mozart asks him for a review of something, he can't hold back his true opinion. He's like, it was absolute perfection. Like, he means it. Mozart's now going to get, uh, he's going to get introduced to the, now he's the king of Austria here, Joseph? I think he's the I, emperor. I struggle with that too. An they call him the emperor. Okay. okay. Uh, so, Joseph, though. Probably the best casting in any movie I've ever seen. So it's right up him, there. I think of Beetlejuice. He is the See, I don't. I think of Ferris Bueller's Prince Day Off. Oh, oh, that's Ferris a good Bueller. one. Unfortunately, uh, that his presence in this movie hasn't aged well as he was a uh, definitely a canceled character. Uh, he's, such a, he's such a yeah. great theater actor, though. He's a great character. I love how he... He has so many little subtle facial... T- like, he, like, he's a kid, too, mm-hmm. who's now the emperor, and... Mozart kind of makes him giggle, but he's like, I have to hold together this, like, hoity-toity persona. And even Salietti says at one point during the movie, he's like, he can only focus on things for an hour. You can't make a four-hour opera. He's not going to pay attention. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he's got to do that. He's got to do that piano introduction. Oh, man. And, and now, all scene. the piano playing in this movie is authentic. Yes. Now, the, the tracks are audio tracks of someone else playing, but they are playing along to the note. Of yeah. everything that's played, including when he's upside down doing that. And music music teacher, like a group of music professors got together and watched the whole movie many times. And they said that every single note you see played is accounted for in the soundtrack. Yeah, so it's it, they learned, like he, Holtze practiced six hours a day. Like they were, they were about this. Like they were all into it. And you have, you have Jeffrey Jones is the, is the actor who plays the, um, the King of Austria there. And, he has to play poorly, right, and then play better because he's doing the introduction. It's a, it's a, but still be amateurish. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable watch. Very, very well delivered. F. Murray Abraham, um, he's awesome in this scene too because he's like trying to be like, great job, but he's also like, you're fucking up my shit. Like, we, I want to tell you how to play this the right way. <laughs> oh, you get a, uh, yeah, you it's get such a, a great scene. Oh, you get a real. A real range of emotions out of Ephraim because he starts as the you know the looking down on the on the king like you said yeah, yeah. screwing it up make it th- do the th- tempo like, tempo and yeah right and then that'll <laughs> quickly get get kind of spun around on him and I just love that Salieri has been up all night preparing this to try to impress right. Mozart mm-hmm. and he remembers and the it in a second goes, let me play it. And, and he's got to be like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. He's like, in his head, he's like kicking over the Gatorade uh, yeah. bottle. He's like, son <laughs> of a bitch. He tries to give himself an out, too. He's like, you would do it too much, Anna. Right. Maybe, yeah, maybe do don't do it so much. Oh, no, we don't want to give it that much. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little, little less honor. Uh, I, and I just love that Mozart's going to walk in, but they shove the axes in his face because he's not done practicing yet. It's like, oh, hey, yeah. he, needs, he needs 30 seconds or more. Like, he's, he's, he's got a little more time. Uh, it's a march. Tempo, tempo. And I also, there's a quick little scene. This is, unless you're like a cinematography buff like I am. <laughs> um, Mozart's standing waiting to get in and he just picks up his heel and scratches his calf and puts it down. And it's something where if a director was doing that in, like, theater, they'd be like, all right, you know, if you had an itch, whatever, let's do it where you don't scratch your leg. And he scratches his leg, and it fits with his wild character. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. something you would normally edit out that they left in there that's very, it, it's perfectly placed. 
Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So then Mozart comes in and and then now he's going to turn this thing up on its head. Well, we get introduced to his world-class laugh. That that's right. that's it. Did you want to did you want to hop in there and give it Try a Try the like, laugh. A no, we no, okay. we have you had I, a look in your face like you were ready to do it. No, 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 no. Yeah, the laugh is definitely uh, one of the one of the lasting things you leave with this with this movie for sure. He based it off a director that he worked with once who used to laugh exactly like that. He, Is that right? He won't tell anyone which director though. Yeah, I know that I know that there's like rumors that it just from writings and whatnot that they had that Mozart had a quirky laugh. That's where they kind of may have gotten that, but it hasn't really been confirmed or anything. A lot of the movies based on urban legends about Mozart. Yeah, yeah, which is you know, which is fine. We don't need a a, a beat for beat telling of Mozart's. And life. there's no That's video just, back that everything's yeah, word of mouth. Right. We don't like, need. Yeah, we, we don't know? need. Uh, this isn't. This isn't the t- the tale of a, a historian. He and, didn't. He didn't have a TikTok. <laughs> Imagine he did. Mozart. He did. Mozart's TikTok would definitely not be popular. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He might be. A, he might be an influencer. Talking about the history of this movie and all that. One of the things that kind of occurred in the in the dawn of this is someone brought Milos Forman to see the play, and Milos Forman didn't want to go because he goes, I don't like biopics about musicians, about composers. Like that's not interesting to me. Forget about telling the story, even seeing that story. Like I don't want to. I don't want to do it. They dragged him to go, and he sat and he did it, and he goes, ooh, there's something else here. This isn't just about Mozart's story. This, yeah. there, there's a whole other story here. And then he was all about it. And I'm like, all right, I want to make this movie. You could, that's cool that he saw the play reluctantly and ended up really liking it. I See, I, before we started doing this, I didn't realize it was a play. Um, and to me, I, don't, I didn't get the um, theater vibe from the movie. I thought the movie was very much a movie. Yeah, um, I, I thought so, too. And that's kind of one of the things, like, when I first saw that, I did not know it was a play either. And I remember, within the last year, since we've been doing the podcast, Artie, you mentioned, well, you know, it was a play, so it has a lot of that play. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize that. I knew that before the first time I watched it, so I've never seen it thinking, oh, this is just a movie. I always knew it was coming from a play. Yeah, yeah. And and Brendan, A, a Man for All Seasons I was, mention that. was, yeah, time period-wise, you can kind of line them up. But now that was one you felt was very... Stagey, very the- yeah. They couldn't get away from the theater because they. It was just okay. Next scene, people in rooms. Yeah. I actually there were elements to a man for all seasons that I thought they did a nice job of breaking away from the the stage performance. But this one, I, I totally thought they did, and I thought one of the ironically enough one of the best avenues for them to do it was that theater hall and showing those those shots of him conduct either one of them conducting. The orchestra and the shots up at the face of the of the beautiful ceiling and all that. I mean, those just, shots are awesome. Killer I shots. love those shots. Every and you know what they both learned to compose for it as well. Not just yeah. play piano; like they are doing what they're supposed to with their hands. Yeah, I mean it was. Uh, I bet you, you know, he may not admit this, but I bet you that was probably part of Milos Forman's strategy to get unknown actors too. Because you're not you're not getting Jack Nicholson to learn how to compose an orchestra. Yeah, you know, or, unless yeah, you're working with Tom Cruise, you right. know I don't, I don't you think. Might. Tom Cruise, you will. <laughs> right, right. Tom. as long as he could do it like hanging from a plane while he composes. Right, right. He'll compose his own <laughs> material to go alongside Mozart. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that getting an F. Murray Abraham and getting a Tom Holsey who don't have a, a I mean, what Tom Holsey was in like Animal House. And F. Murray Abraham was... He, he ended, ended up, up having a good uh, career going he, yeah, forward. Yeah, he did have a He's solid... He's yeah. and Homeland. But leaning into this was not in much. And the, he got the role because Foreman wanted him to 
be a, a role player. He liked him as an actor. He wanted him to be involved, and he ha- had him pegged for a smaller role. This is the Mozart character. Uh, this is the Solieri character, oh. F. Murray Abraham. So he was auditioning a young actor for the Mozart role, and called Murray Abraham in the role to read for Solieri, just because he just needed someone to fill in the gap. And he was like, whoa, you know, that was really good. You know, and the Mozart guy got dismissed or whatever, but he's like, well, that was really good. So then he put him in the line for it and called him up and said, you know what? You were my first choice for Solieri. And F. Murray Abraham's like, ooh, what does that mean? I'm your first choice. Like, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not a rookie. Like, I know how this works. Either I have the job or I don't have the job. So, you know, let me know. And he's like, all right, well, you're my first choice. So Abraham goes, screw this. You know, I'm picking another script. He does, does Scarface. And didn't come to the callbacks. Didn't come. He goes, no. If I don't have the job, I'm not going. Milos Forman goes, that's exactly what Solieri would do. He wouldn't want to come to the callbacks. So that's perfect for this role. He goes, get him. And they're like, he's doing Scarface. He's like, that's even better because that's definitely Solieri would take another role too. He would do Scarface. So they waited on him and they got him in and they they did it. And the rest is history. Wins the Oscar. It's pretty impressive. Donald Sutherland read for that that role as well. Yes. So wow. it'll be the first the choice Salieri? over Donald Sutherland. Yeah, oh, Donald wow. Sutherland. And an early candidate for Salieri was Burt Reynolds. Wow. No. That would have been a much different no. movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't Not know a best picture. He might have been better in the old... Ma- yeah, no. <laughs> he might have been better in the old makeup, but the rest of the movie would have been <laughs> right. a travesty. Well, well, I wanted to ask you. You said he... Not uh, Donald Sutherland. What's, what's Salieri's name? F. Murray Abraham. F. Murray Abraham. F. Murray Abraham. He was in Homeland? Yeah, he's Dara Doll, isn't Did he? Did he look like he does with Salieri's old makeup? No, he looks like young <laughs> Salieri. Like he hasn't aged in 35 oh, really? years. Yeah. <laughs> and he's also what? the bad guy in one of the worst movies I saw all year, 13 Ghosts. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And when I saw it, when the, when the, when the, the, the titles for the 13 Ghosts, F. Murray Abraham, I'm like, oh, he's in this movie? It's going to be good. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I didn't see a lot of the would-be kids. I know you said that there were a couple of big actors who were up for these roles. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't see any of that. So, uh, I did, the one that I did see though is that the producers were pushing, or the studios were pushing him to use Walter Matthau as Mozart. Mm. Walter Matthau was sixty years old yeah, at that, that time. <laughs> he goes, Mozart died at thirty-five. I'm going to put a sixty-year-old man out there to be Mozart. Like, what? Like, Wal- you're insulting me. Walter like, Matthau definitely has like naked pictures of that producer. Or <laughs> they really get that kind of pull. I think the producer is just probably ninety years old himself, right. and he's like, <laughs> ah, we need Walter Matthau. Nice young man, Walter Matthau. So one of the guys that was um, going to be Mozart. Like in consideration to be Mozart is Peter McNichol. Okay, I'm going to show you guys a picture because oh yeah, you know him. Talking Ghostbusters too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy who goes Vigo. Yeah, in yeah. Ghostbusters <laughs> too was almost Mozart. Wow. Wow, major That's... major Ghostbusters two vibes, and this is the year that Ghostbusters comes out. Uh, this is wild. This, this is, is Ghostbusters the connection. Movies. We got Ghostbusters. Yeah, well, we're, yeah. we'll get a we'll, okay. this is not a who should have won podcast, but we do at the end. Well, go through every other nominee, <laughs> and we'll talk about some of the other news. But, but, this is a big year. Well, this this year. isn't a who should have won podcast, but at the end, we will go over why Ghostbusters should have won. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think of Costanzi, Mozart's wife? Uh, the actress, the character, the performance, what, what, what did you get? get Artie, I'll let you go first. I secretly really have a crush on this girl. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. She's so yeah. hot. I don't know what it is. She's just very attractive. I thought she was great. 
you know, Great. I, I too was Perfect. was drawn in by her completely. And she was just loyal, 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 and awesome. Loyal and immature, still immature, but has a level of maturity that Mozart needs. She's, yeah. she's a real money. Like, no, we're not doing this unless we get paid up front. Yeah, she, the guy says, would you bring your manager? Yeah, right. Yeah. And while we're, we might as well get all the casting stuff out of the way here, is she was not supposed to be in this movie. It was supposed to be Meg Tilly, Jennifer Tilly's sister. Hmm. She tore her ACL playing street soccer before the filming of this. She was out on the street doing pickup soccer, tore her ACL. Doctor said she wouldn't be able to stand for six weeks. Wow. And they're like, well, we can't delay. Six weeks. We can't delay the sad. We're, we're filming tomorrow. Like, so they brought in a couple of unknown actresses. They tested them out, and then this girl got the job. So. Yeah, she, she's really good. She did a great job. Um, and let that be a lesson to all of you. If you get a big role, don't play street soccer. Yeah. Well, that's Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone. Played pickup basketball towards knee, and the next day the Yankees traded for A Rod. There you go. The rest is history. And then he kept, uh, found his way back to the Yankees somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Elizabeth Berridge is the actress's name, and yeah, like Artie said, she's not really in much of. <laughs> I think the only other movie she's in is the only movie I've ever walked out of. And Artie, you were right beside me walking out of this one in Hidalgo. She's in that. She's in Hidalgo. Oh, yep. yeah. Mean, we walked I, right out. Kieran of Kieran and I were at a phase where we would go to movies, sit there, and basically we knew what we were picking, so we liked most of the movies that we saw. We had a lot of appreciation for them. This one, we sat there. We were like 30, 40 minutes in. We looked at each other and we're like, "Do you want to just leave? This is yeah, like on on. Uh, you couldn't focus on it. It was literally Did Viggo you... Mortensen walking from tent to tent." <laughs> With a different character yeah. going, an American has never won this race before. <laughs> no one's ever won this with a Mustang, nonetheless. And then he goes to another tent, and they do that it, uh, awful movie. Okay. Half it's a horse race with CGI in the early 2000s, ooh, which is ooh. no good. Put that on the list with the uh, Mark Wahlberg Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, other, uh, the other female role in this was Madame Cav- Cavalieri, one of Solvieri's students. And then I guess she gets hooked up with Mozart. Yeah, they and, gloss uh, over that quickly. Right, yeah. I There's mean, some weird vibes that go on yeah, throughout real, the beginning of the movie. Like, I don't know what the relationships are weird. Yeah, you have Solieri then saying, you know, she was, I loved her, or at least I lusted for her. I never yeah. touched her, but she was mine. It's like real simp vibes coming out of, out of oh, Solieri. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, very like, simp. You know, she's mine. I, I won't touch her, but she's mine. He's like a window watcher kind a of guy. Big window yeah, watcher, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have the courage to do anything really that's why he can't make good music because he doesn't have courage he's always in the box you know it's yeah. always um yeah trying to stick up to in, what he knows the... and, and and in this case it works for him i mean he's not a, he's not a predator i guess he's more of a he's, he is a creep though he has it's it within him weird yeah yeah well then that moves into the next scene where well then and, and and but before he gets into the thing with with mozart's wife it's the i knew he had had her the creature, oh, yeah. the creature the had creature. had her. Yeah. I, I, dude, I, well, my rewatch, I just burst out. With that. <laughs> Me too. It's, it's, I'm like, the creature had had her. Oh my god! Like, bro, you need to just lighten up a little bit here. You're a little yeah, intense. Like, do you see how everyone else acts? Try to act that yeah, way. A little less, little less of a simp here for it. <laughs> yeah. So the scene between him and Mozart's wife is a little tough. You know, a little tough. You have him basically. Saying I'll give I'll give your your husband a job here, but you're coming back. And the scene was not in the original theatrical release; it was in the director's cut, so it didn't really get released until later. 
The entire sequence. The entire sequence, yeah. Oh, so wow. it really kind of changes that whole final scene of the confrontation between the two of them. So, yeah, I think if you're watching that at the end, you're a little confused as to why she's being so aggressive. Right. That's that's wild. Yeah, and uh, well, I, I'm glad they put it in. Yeah, I think they took yeah. out like the theatrical release. Took out a lot of the sexual stuff, like a lot of like it took yeah. out the. The him longing for the other girl, the creature had had her. Like that was right. not in there. Like that. Okay. So that I guess they just pulled that. He said the stuff the pulled was dr- strictly for length, but that right. that was they took out that whole chastity part and, of him. And I do have to say, all of those things that, that you're mentioning here, they're all very awkward and they're uncomfortable. I think they're good artistically, and they give you an insight into Salieri's character, which which helps build the story. But they are very uncomfortable. Yeah, and there's certainly differences I mean, between a PG-13 and an R movie. Sure. You know, and sure, and you see him trying to be a predator here, and then backing off. Well, it was right? it was very you know sexual harassing. That's yeah. workplace sexual harassment type type stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, then he goes into then he like breaks down and takes the crucifix off the wall and burns the crucifix in the. He basically declares vengeance on God. On God, God. and and he's just caught up into in this whole God put Mozart on Earth to mock him. That's what this whole thing is. This guy is just so locked into this psychosis of obsession. I, I, why were you giving me the yearning for this talent, but not the talent? And why were you sticking this creature here who has this endless supply of talent, where he doesn't even have to write anything down, it's just in his head, and there's no corrections on the paper. It's all just perfectly written down. Again, you know, we'll say it a million times over, F. Murray Abraham just does such an incredible job of making that palpable. And, and the funny thing here is he is so blind to the fact that they're in the middle of a plague. I think God has bigger things to do than worry about what his music career is. Yeah. They're in the middle of you a know? plague? Yeah. At the end when they throw Mozart, they, Mozart gets buried in a ditch with a bunch of dead bodies. A, yeah, oh, yeah. They cover him. I thought that poor guy who covers him with lime. Like, what a job. <laughs> Take a face full of lime. Yeah. Oh, what a scene. Yeah. What a scene there. Brennan, you had, you had your quote. In reference to the the, pa- the music on the page of the paper? Yes, I did. For me, this movie was not a quotable movie, and, I, and maybe people would disagree with me. I thought it was so much more of a interaction with people. So I went to choose a quote that was, it embodied the movie. Okay. Um, and so this is when Salieri first sees his first piece of uh, Mozart's... After his first encounter with him. Right, yeah. right. He's, he's been hiding him behind the treats. Right, yeah. And, and now he sees the page and he says, on the page it looked like nothing. The beginning simple, almost comic, just a pulse. Bassoons and basset horns like a rusty squeeze box. And then suddenly, high above it, an oboe. A single note, hanging there, unwavering. Until a clarinet took over and sweetened it into a phrase of such delight. This was no composition by a performing monkey. This was music I'd never heard. Filled with such longing, such unfillable longing, it had me trembling. It seemed to me that I was hearing the voice of God. Yeah, and what's not stated in that quote is that when he talks about the oboe, the single oboe, the sound team's playing that oboe, the, and then they kick in with the timpanis, and they kick in with the clarinet, yeah, the and the song plays. Yeah, it's over playing his voice. as he's describing yeah. it on perfect cue. They do that a few times in this movie, and it's perfect. It adds so much, so much to the scene. Yeah, and if you're not someone who appreciates classical music or knows much about classical music, 
this movie does a great job of introducing you yes. to the complexities and right. the the amazing features that it that it has to offer. And uh, and I'm not someone who loves classical music. I know Artie, you're you're more into it. Brennan, you're probably so so here and there, yeah. Uh, but uh, in watching this, it's hard not to appreciate what these guys did back then. And I think it adds to the idea of what complexity is. Salieri looks at it and says it, it, it seems to start off so simply. Whereas I think if Salieri w- went to write a masterpiece, he'd just start off so technical that it would be, right. it would be annoying. Yeah. Um, but this just starts off so simple and then grows into this bigger animal. And I, I think that's what blows Salieri back is, oh, this is what art is. Great if, stuff. And if you listen to Mozart's music like without ever seeing this movie, his music has a pulse. Like if you hear, if I hear a random classical song on the radio, Mozart's music usually stands out because it has a little like, in the background it'll be like, like there's something consistent that keeps it that everything works around. It's very cool, and then you hear Salieri's music and it's very like mathematical and boring and not catchy but maybe correct musically, but it's not good just because it's correct. Yeah, that's a, that's like when Mozart takes over Salieri's piece and he's playing, he's just... Yeah. And then it, it goes something like this. And then it just sort of just does that again, right? Yeah. That doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> he looks at him and, uh, 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 you know... He's Salieri's like, maybe, like, maybe this. And then he's like... He plays this beautiful ending. Love that one. That doesn't quite work, does it? We've glossed over that scene, too. There's some really funny, underhanded compliments in that introductory scene between Salieri and Mozart. Oh, yes, I referenced one of your pieces back when I was in... Mozart did... Oh, you have this one funny little piece. I did a few variations off of this. He's like, oh, I'm flattered. He's like... It's a funny little piece, but it had its uses. <laughs> so, like, cool, geez. dude. Like, uh, yeah, like, oh, man, you're burying me. <laughs> yeah. But it, but but that goes into the thing of um, what you were saying, a very technical and maybe right, but that's, Salieri has no courage. He right, just no heart in it. No heart. No right? heart in yeah. Yeah, it. Yeah, just he's mathematical. Missing, right, he's missing some sort of soul that's going to drive Mozart's constantly voices. trying to make the best thing you've ever heard right. and Salieri is just like I know this works and I'm going to keep doing it right and he struggles with that he has Which to is... grazie signori to the <laughs> crucifix when he's figuring out that ending that doesn't work right <laughs> <laughs> oh that's true too right and the ending doesn't work and he's like grazie signori and he's like yeah that doesn't really work he's like almost like he's let me really tell you what God's saying this is what he's saying not what you listened and heard and in Mozart's mind, everything Mozart does is better than his last thing. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons he has no respect for anything Salieri does, because it's just so... And he tries to be polite. He's like, it was great. But you can tell he's just, he's he like, but I know I'm the best. Right. Like, he wants to say that after everything. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you see later on that he has great respect for Salieri as a friend. And he's like, you're my only friend, you're my only colleague who comes and supports me. He doesn't respect his work because he doesn't... It's not that he doesn't respect his work. It's his work just is not impressed by he, it. It's he just, knows he's better. He knows what it is. It's yeah, it is, it is what it is. And then on the flip side, you have Solieri who has an obsessive respect for Mozart's work, but just, just loathes him as a person and just does everything he can to chisel him down. After he burns that crucifix and then just says, all right, that's it, I'm taking this guy down because I'm taking you down. Then God. he puts on the red velvet sweater. Yeah, yeah he is the devil now. Red suede. <laughs> Yeah, and now it's, you know, I'm going to sabotage this guy. He's not going to give any more lessons. He's not going to do this. He's not going to do that. We now kind of learn that 
Mozart's working on Figaro, or we, we know that he's working on a project that's not announced to be Figaro yet until he sends the old maid spy in. But now Daddy comes to town, and we have the whole Mo- Mo- Mozart dad saga. Him thanking that the Pope or whoever it was, he's like, can he come back to Salzburg? He's like, no, he's, he's a brat. He's a whiny brat. He's like, you know, he begs, and then he's like, sure, he can come back. Very uncomfortable hand kissing and overly gratuitous. <laughs> he's like, thank you so much. He walks like Kissing two steps. Ring, he yeah. turns around. He's like, oh, thank you again. It's like, it's been three seconds since your last thank you. He's, and then he leave? begs him back in. Mozart, nah, you know, irresponsibly just says, no, nah, I'm getting married and that's going to solve all my problems, more or less. And then you get that great shot of him crumpling up the paper and the elks going off transition. into the... All-time Amazing. transition. Yeah, All and that's time. just, you know, Milos Foreman just really... Putting his touch on that thing. Yeah, yeah. just brilliant. Simple so, and brilliant. Mozart's relationship with his father is very weird. It's um, Mozart has respect for one thing, music. If you were to add a second thing in there, it would be his father. Yeah. He so, only wants to please his father. I mean, he loves his wife, but he has no respect for her. I mean, he cheats on her all the time. Uh, it's really music and his father. Are, are... In real life, his dad was a uh, accomplished musician who was like an over-the-top, like, you're going to learn how to play music at a young age kind yeah, of dad. And, and right. so it's him like, around, brought him from town to town playing, yeah, like, blindfolded. and Yeah, exactly. So he's like, all he knows is I have to please my dad by constantly being the best musician. It's kind of, it would drive him. Yeah, and you so get the music that. and the dad are, are very the much dad's intertwined. The extension of music. Yeah, right. yeah. The right. reason he has to constantly be the best musician ever, even say it out loud to himself, is because he's trying to convince himself of that because he wants it for his dad. Right? Yeah, and, and you know, you get that relationship you often get with child stars and their parents, which sure. is, you know, they're parading them out to different sets and auditions. Have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Magnolia? Yeah. Oh. So the the, the game show yes. WizKid and the dad and that. Yeah. That's that's depressing. Similar similar angle though. Like the he's he he's coming cuz he needs to be basically he's mad at Mozart for not having money, but what do you do? You right. want Mozart to make money so you can pr- take yeah. money off of him. You, live yeah. you don't do anything either. So there's the movie which I'm going to do the daring thing of bringing up a movie I haven't seen, but Honey Boy is a movie that's I out. haven't seen that either. It's Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, I've heard oh, of it. Yeah. I think it's rough, vaguely about his Shia LaBeouf's life. Oh, really? Shia LaBeouf plays his father, who's living off of his son's talent. Oh boy! How interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So that that will doing doing movie recommends a little early here, but right. uh, but definitely daddy issues in this one. Daddy issues all over. Magnolia is like the Pulp Fiction of daddy issues. You know, it's just Mag- yeah, leaving Magnolia is like it's like going to therapy for three hours. Right. Like, you don't even have to have issues. You leave therapeutized. So that that masquerade scene with the dad and that weird uh, game yeah, they play. Yeah, the, but I one thing I absolutely loved in this scene. The double mask. His costume is fucking du- That double mask yeah. where it's, he looks at him and he sees him frowning on him and he puts his head down. Uh, and then he spins around and it's a smiley face and he lifts yes. him and goes, ah. And then he takes the mask off and he actually is frowning on him and he goes, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great sequence. Again, smart filmmaking. You know, little, yes. little things you can do without saying a word. Right. You know, and just from using set pieces and, and, and reactions. It's really, really cool stuff. That's a weird and scene. That's, well, a very important scene, too. It's, you know, Salieri shows up in that at that party. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and another thing that I have marked down from this scene, too, is Salieri's kind of creeping around as he normally does. He's got his little mask on, and then he hears the laugh. Right. And, the, you know, that high-pitched laugh, and he just 
oh, he just cringes. Like, he's like, oh, that's it. And, and what I kind of like looked at, it, every time they use that laugh in the movie, it is as if Salieri is being laughed at. And that he hears it as someone laughing at him. Even though Mozart's not intending that, that's how it comes off. And right down to that last shot of the movie, the very last shot of the movie is that laugh. Right. While, while uh, Murray Abraham's being, being pulled away. So it's just every time that, that thing's howls off, and, and when he's creeping around in the masquerade, that's a big spot where he winces and looks back at it. Look back at it. You get the upside-down piano playing there, which is which Fun is cool. scene. Very fun scene. And I love I love their, play Bach, play Bach. I, mean, oh, I can play Bach. I can do it upside uh, yeah. down. Play, they name Handel. Yeah. Handel. Ah, too easy. Ah, too boring. No, too rudimentary, yeah. whatever. Ah. Uh, Hey, Salieri. Salieri Perfect. says, ooh, now there's a real challenge. And then he just plays Bach at a very slow tempo. Yeah. And it's, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's so totally funny, insults him. Funny part of that, two of the composers that they yell out, Handel and I can't think of the other person's name, they yell out these composers, play this, play that. In real life, those are two of Mozart's, like, inspirations. Oh, wow. Like his main, his main, um... Influences, yeah. yeah he was that, a big Handel fan. Handel's and, awesome, and that could just play even more into the character and in saying that, you know, maybe he did inside respect them, but in a party atmosphere, he yeah. was going to show them up because yeah. that's that's what he does. Right. Yep. So you have Solieri looking at this like, how dare he disrespect me? Well, maybe there was some respect there, and he was just showing them up, just like he's showing up the other guys. Yeah. Right, interesting. Yeah, good point. This is where I think the dad is now. Like, all right, I'm. I'm I'm done. It's his. He's like I got everything that the king said about his son. He now believes is true and correct. We're gonna get this whole sequence of the Figaro play now. Getting the approval to do it from the kings, and then actually producing it, and then you get the too many sounds on the royal ear. <laughs> There's only so many no, so many notes that one can hear in a in a so, amount of time. So this scene, if I had to guess, th- I told you my teacher was a. F- want to show me this movie first. This was his favorite scene, I think. The, the um, production of Figaro and putting it together? Uh, no, the, the ending when, when the um, emperor comes up. There was something wrong with it. It was... Uh, uh, and he turns to his... his what yes. was it? What was it? Too many notes. Too many notes, <laughs> and yes. My, my teacher would just crack up like, ah, my, too many notes. We get to my quote of the movie. So the landlady comes on stage and then she's so blown away by the fact that she's seeing the emperor, she passes out. And... She falls to the ground, hits the ground, and the emperor goes, well, there it is. And then they walk away. <laughs> Unreal. Love that one. Yeah. Well, there it is. Like, there's a woman on the ground, and you're just like, well, time to go. <laughs> Love that one. The interesting part of censorship that they did here for a little yes. bit, where they, he didn't want ballet in the theater hall. Oh, that's a great scene when he sits in on the practice. So, yes, yeah, so he plugs the music out or gets the music sheets pulled out of the right. ballet scenes, but he keeps the ballet. So they're just dancing around to no music. They're like, what the hell is this? The this emperor sucks. actually sits in and goes, what? what he's like, do you think this is good, <laughs> Yeah. Like, well, it's your royal decree. Like, like, no, he goes, it's not a matter of whether it's good, really. Yeah, it's Basically, your royal decree. Like, oh, no. yeah. yeah, it's lawful. Is it lawful? He's like, well, maybe put that back in there. Put right. that put that back in there. I love that he's a he's a reasonable ruler, this, this emperor. I like this character. He's able to be swayed. By reason, and he even at one point says, "Mozart, you're very passionate, but you're not persuasive. You're not persuading me. Yes, like yes. convince me. Don't just be passionate." And he does, and it's uh, it, I just love that he's he's willing to have his mind changed 
as a, an almighty ruling emperor. I like that. I, I think he also calls him innocent or, or something because he says, you know, Mozart wants to put his first play in a brothel yeah. in Austria. The next one is Figaro, which is is apparently banned for yeah. some reason. You're too innocent, he says, or something. Right, yeah, you're, but, right. And and that's, Mozart says, I'm not a political man, I, yeah. I'm an artist. He's like, I hate politics, he's so enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, he, he says to the emperor and all the politicians <laughs> right. in the room, I hate politics. Yeah, and you have the emperor, too, who has no ear for music, but, like, likes it. You know, so he right. like likes being around it. Yeah. And so he needs, yeah, he needs them to tell him what's good or not. Right. This is going to lead into my quote here because you have the production of Figaro up there, and Solieri's up in the balcony, just noticing how unreal this is. He's like, "Wow, this is the great one of the greatest things ever made." And he's just watching, and now he's <laughs> describing one of the scenes in the in the last act. In the four, right. I think they get into the fourth act of it. It's the woman who is giving forgiveness to the. To the husband, and here's this is my quote here, and this is the, to me this quote really just highlights the obsession within Solieri here. And again, this is in reference to what the woman is is singing and what is conveyed. And this is Solieri speaking. I heard the music of true forgiveness filling the theater, conferring on all who sat there perfect absolution. God was singing through this little man to all the world, unstoppable making my defeat more bitter with every passing bar. Mm. And it's, it's, you know, he's seeing something that, that is the perfect portrayal of what he loves, and all he's thinking of is how he's being defeated. Right. I'm being defeated. And then the next line is, and do you know what happened? A miracle. Right. And that's the yawn, where the, the emperor yawns, and yeah. everyone's like, oh, no, this isn't good. Because the common audience doesn't like it. The, the emperor represents the, the common ear, and the common ear doesn't like it, so no one likes it. You, this is, I'm, I'm being defeated here. He just can't get past himself. He can't get over himself. And I imagine the priest, while he's listening to this, is probably like, this guy is batshit crazy. <laughs> right. The priest's reactions to a lot of what Salieri was saying kind of confused me. I didn't think he did a great job. I think... Sometimes he looked very distraught, and I was like, you just met this guy. He said he was crazy an hour ago. Now you're like, oh my god, he's telling me all this stuff. Like, I, it came off a little overacty for me. Yeah, I don't know this, but I I bet you a lot of his scenes were cut. Because you it don't seemed, see... It seemed, you only it seemed see the result of hard editing. And so after the yawn, we we learn that this, this poor play is only destined for nine, I think it says. Nine, yeah. nine, and then they pull it. And he just says, well, it's too, too many demands on the royal ear, as, as he explains right. it. And I wonder, Artie, sometimes are there too many demands on the royal ear when uh, we're watching some of these movies? Oh, my God, yes. It's... I think last week was an example of that with American <laughs> in Paris, right? Too it, when it when you have to like force yourself to look at the screen, yes, it's <laughs> one too many demands on the global uh, expert's ear. <laughs> yes, a man for all season had aspects of that in the very beginning. I think it was it was hard to move into that. Uh, yeah, I mean the one that I always remember we haven't covered it yet would be Gandhi, where I just feel like I have to I have to get Clockwork Orange to, to watch that movie. You know, <laughs> like lids peeled peeled open. So after the dad passes, he's now he's now commissioned to do this mass for the dead. Solieri wisely gets the mask from the masquerade that his dad wore to really play into the to the deeper rooted issues here. And now we kind of start to see the beginning of the end of Mozart emotionally, physically. He's yeah, he's on a downward spiral. They're not. Explicit about it, but I think he's got some sort of venereal disease working. 
He's st- they say he's taking medicine. So they say he's taking medicine and they say he's drinking. Yeah, I, I looked it up quite a bit, and there's like 20 different speculative uh, About how he died, illnesses yeah. and causes of death for what he was dealing with. Everything from strep throat to tuberculosis... Yeah. To uh, mercury poisoning it was a million different things. Yeah, there's no like clear cut answer for what what he was dealing with, but he was definitely not well. His right. skin was getting white. He was like talking like a crazy person. Yeah, and he drinks and, and takes his medicine and then says nonsense things. Yeah, and oh, right. when when you look in the constructs of the character too, when you're having those financial issues and in turn having marital issues because of it. And then in turn, you're dealing with the ramifications of your dad dying and, and, and the failure of all your plays that are just inexplicably going out after... Fa- all of that takes the emotional toll on the body on top of the illness that you're already facing. And you're going to go downhill real quick here, especially as you're drinking your way through it. And one thing we hadn't really talked about is that while Mozart is a very childish individual and likes to go out and drink and party, he's also obsessive with his work. And I think the... The spy housemaid, who's the Sex and the City girl, right? We haven't we haven't mentioned that. Is she from Sex and the City? Yes, this is the woman who ran for uh, New York governor against Cuomo and lost. Who is, is that she right? In Sex and the City. Uh, red hair, uh, short. Really? Hair. Oh wow. Yes. Wait, Miranda. Uh, is that Miranda? I think they're all Miranda. I'm just trying to think of the other two's names. I think they're all. <laughs> I Miranda. Think that's the, the only name so I know. They're all Miranda. <laughs> Uh, Cynthia Nixon. It's her? Right, so we haven't mentioned this, that the, the spy, Cynthia Nixon, from Sex and the City, has, uh, is reporting back to Salieri, and she, you know, is saying that he's crazy, he's this and that, and Salieri kind of asks, well, is he working? And she says, oh, he works all the time. Yeah, and that's what his wife sleep. says, too. Right, and, you know, and multiple people say it. So he is a hard worker, obsessive. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I did not know that was Cynthia Nixon there, too. That's a good good spot there. And it's obvious while that, like, yes, he's working all the time, but he he does stuff while he works. Even with the pool ball, he bounces the pool ball around while he works. He drinks and pours a glass right. while he works. So, yes, he's drinking, but he's working mostly and drinking in the background. Like It's almost, it's almost the image of someone who just has music pouring out of them, and they have to sit there with the pen to try to get it out. Right. So they drink and they do other things, but it's just continuously yeah. coming out. The, calling it the voice of God is really just such a, a beautiful way of putting it from Salieri when he looks at Mozart's originals with no corrections the first time. It's the voice of God. It's, it's uh, such a cool way to put it. He says it's like they're already composed and he just has to get them onto paper. Right. And in a way, it's a curse for him. I mean, it's... He, yeah. He, he he's the one who has these songs in And then set. people criticize it. It's perfect, right. and people criticize right. it. Yeah. He, but he knows, he knows he's right. the best. He's exactly. like, it is, right? It's the best anyone's ever heard. It's like, eh, well, <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> just, just cut out some notes, and then it'll yeah, be Yeah, one too many notes. So, uh, Artie, you brought up the pool table there, and that got me thinking, when the hell was pool invented? Why? Well, because it just... Two, so, I looked at two that... Two major nitpicks about that. Oh, yeah. okay, so give me the nitpicks first. Do you watch him play pool? He hits the, the one ball. No, he, no, he doesn't. The, he uses it as a, as a table. No, but the like, first time we ever see the pool table, he's playing pool. Okay. So first and he off, literally it's not hits a pool table. It's, it's something billiard, else. It's a billiards. Billiards. Yeah, right. So there's no billiards. holes. There's no okay, pockets. Right. When do you think billiards was invented? I don't know. If I had to guess, give, I'd, I'd give say... Give me a guess. I'll give it 2000 B.C. No, I'm gonna say eighteen. Wow. I'm gonna That's say time of cavemen. I'm gonna say eighteen fifty. Eighteen fifty. Already a better guess? guess. Fifteen hundred. Okay, I would have. <laughs> I would have probably guessed something along the lines of that. 
to 15. Okay. It was invented in the 1340s. Okay. That's wild to me. Like, I, I just even seen in this movie, it was like a weird, like, you know, where, where's Tom Cruise and Paul Newman? You know, this doesn't look... They you know, did a great Mozart job of Poole. having things in this movie that are kind of timeless. What did you guys think of the maid's character and the maid's presence in this movie in general? Uh, she was a confusing character to me. I feel like she was another victim of hard editing where maybe some scenes were cut out. Yes. Yes, I agree with you. Um, she's she's kind of thrown into the mix arbitrarily. Uh, I know Salieri has this obsession, but she never quite fits in, and you only see her on very key moments. I, I agree. Hard Confusing edits. is a good word for that, Artie, because you see her at the end... Like, uncontrollably sobbing. When he's leaving. Yeah. But the last like, time she talks about him, she goes, he's, hey, I'm terrified, he scares yeah, me, he's crazy. I, I'm looking at that, and is it like the weight of what she was doing, the fact she was reporting on him, was it the guilt, the reason she was sobbing? There was, there were some blanks not filled in there in That's the what I mean. It, in the scene she was in, she was kind of like forced to have a position. It didn't flow from scene to scene. Like, she says, oh, yeah, he works all day. She's so grateful to have the money. She's so sweet and innocent. And then she's terrified. And then she's, yeah, she's sobbing and somber during the, when they're carrying away Mozart's body. It's very, she's a confusing character. We get into these, to this opera now. He's doing the vaudeville. He's trying to, he's, he's at night he's writing the, uh, the Requiem. Right. And he's putting, trying to put together this vaudeville at the same time. This is one of my nitpicks out of this, and, and this is a carryover from last week here, too. These guys singing the opera here, lip-syncing, is just way off. And it just, it's a pet peeve of mine. I just, they're just not, if you're singing opera, you're using your whole body to sing it. Like, that's a, that's a, a head-to-toe exercise. You're not just casually just lipping along to these, like, giant vibratos. Where I think some of the later productions are pretty impressive, like, and, and pretty, like, the one with the midgets, or the little people, uh, with, the, with the parrot people, the hop, 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 you know, like, it, it was just, and he, I think he, like, that's, went out of his way to just make everything so over the top. Right? Yeah. And that's the last opera scene, or, or yeah. musical scene. That's the very end, scene. yeah, that's the very yeah. end there. The theater has its own character in this movie. It does, it You does. know, it's kind of like, it brings the people together, they use it as a political tool, they're like, that's why that, that that's why Figaro's banned caused like upheaval in between the classes in France. So the the theater is kind of this medium for Salieri to undermine Mozart. It's it's got its own its own personality the theater. I was reminded here too of Shakespeare and Love of the two different theaters. You have the theater with the Rose Queen and Elizabeth the, and then and the, the underground theater, for the theater people, right? Theater for the people. And one of the things they mention in the movie here for Mozart is that hat if he would have just been in the theater of the regular people, he would have been renowned. Probably. Oh, he's they in the uh, he's, he's in, in the, the royal, royal one, mm. right? So, like, if the guy yawns, they're not going. They don't care yeah. if, right. if they like it. They're not going to go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and uh, the the vaudeville finally is a hit where he makes some money. He doesn't know because he passes out in the middle of it and he's dragged home. Right. And we get one hell of a scene coming up here. You have a sick and dying. We find out Mozart, and you have Solieri. I'm your only friend, you know, really. Right. You know, and he just he thanks him, and you know, you're the only one of my colleagues who came. Well, it was it was sublime. He goes, well, it was a vaudeville. He goes, no, everything you do, I respect. And he really kind of, yeah, he opens up and says everything I do respect. And then, you know, he says they really kind of have like a bro moment there. 
And and Salieri at this moment gets what what he's really been vying for the entire movie is a peek into the window of Mozart's mind here is, yeah. is where we have. So I think this is one of the more complex scenes in this movie. 100%. Salieri and him and Mozart are in a room together, doors closed, no one's around. Salieri breaks all the character he's been holding this whole movie, turns into a fan, mm-hmm. and he's like... I am your friend right now. Do you need help getting this done? He gets money given to him. He could have stolen that or done something crazy. He gives it right to him. And even lies and goes, do it tonight. And I'll... Yeah, he, he makes him believe that that money came from the, the dark man. With but, the, one of the the reasons it's, but one of the reasons it's complex is because is Salieri trying to get him to give him a composition that he can write down in his own handwriting so Salieri could then later steal it and pass it off as his own? Is that definitely is, Salieri's motivation? Which was or his he, original intention, but... But, but as he's doing it, he mm-hmm. gets sucked into the moment and he's it, the music comes front and center and they both just become like mediums for this yeah. song Mozart saying like no it's this and he's like that you go too fast you go too fast yes, yeah. that, and, and I he, love that you go too fast and and he has more it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense yeah, yeah. and Mozart's yeah. like it does and then it he does. hums it he's like in between yeah. in between the offbeats it works and he's like you're right it does it does yeah. I, uh, I, uh, a brilliant brilliant scene easily this scene alone got them both nominated for Oscars the they one of the things that I heard them talking about in, in the making of this is they looked at that scene on paper. Anyone who looked at it was like, wait a minute. Like, they're p- turning pages, and they said, this, like, what is this? Like, this is the most boring, like, this is just, this is just someone explaining someone to transcribe notes. Like, this isn't, this isn't a movie. Like, we can't do this. This is like, this is, this is terrible, this is terrible footage to watch. Like, oh, I'll make it an F minor, okay, then make it a C, and then, okay, I write that down. Did you write that? Let me check it. Okay, good. And they, it's like, so on the paper, that looked so bad. Right. What they did with it was just unreal. And like, then again the, to the sound department. As he's transcribing what you should be writing down on paper, they're playing it in the background. Yeah, right. he has it, well, yeah, right. Right. And then when it finally is, like, getting finished, they cut to a horse and carriage, like, boogieing, and you hear the whole song together, all the parts he was just transcribing. Masterful cross-cutting. Incredible direction. Incredible. To even think of that is incredible. Yeah, and you have, and he has to kind of, so he's singing the notes, the F, and he's getting F on the show, while it's playing, while the audience is hearing, you know, hearing the notes. So like he's working with a little earpiece in his ear, so he's got he's got to be on key because otherwise that's all that's going to get thrown off. They're part doing with that. this. I think there's a part with that. Yeah, there's a little cat and mouse between them in the beginning because, so the the film is the scene is being shot with two cameras. So if you're watching it, you'll show Solieri's face, then it will show Mozart's face. Solieri's face, Mozart's face. But this was not done at separate times or anything. This was done all together with the two cameras of footage. And was filmed like it would be in theater. So they said, like, even though it looks like the other guy's not in screen, we're filming it, and they're just taking shots from both cameras. And when they filmed it, his earpiece screws up, so he's completely lost. And you can see him in, in the shot just... Stuttering, a minor. waiting. He's waiting for yeah. a cue. He a wants minor. to hear A minor, yes. And you have Solieri like, yeah, a, a minor, I got it, I got it, I got it. He goes, yeah, uh, but he's also sick and delirious, so you have that right. kind of thing. Then he goes, no F major. Then it, yeah, then it cured. He, they just worked through it. They used all that. They didn't, they didn't retake it or do anything. Kept going through. 
And then to kind of turn the tables, Holche, playing Mozart, says, just starts skipping lines. So he'll do every other line. And now F. Murray Abraham is getting confused. And he's like, wait, wait, you're going too fast. Like, what, you, what? So he did it because that's he wanted the Abraham character to kind of lose his footing and not be able to keep up. And didn't tell him he was going to do it and didn't do anything. And then what they got, they took and they just used between the two cameras and just made that scene work. And cool. my God, what a scene. And the sound behind it, it is what right. absolutely makes it. It's, I, if you could not watch this whole movie and just watch this scene... It's an amazing scene. Anyone would be like, wow, that was really cool to watch. Really awesome scene. Yeah, incredibly intense, charming, uh, engaging. Just you're you're just informative. You're learning about. Yeah, this is how these guys. This is how these guys' minds work. Like one guy can say, "F major," you know, we're going to run through the scale twice. He's like, "Okay, got it," and he just runs through the scale twice on while writing music. Super fast, you know. And at one at one point, he says, "All right, all right, I'm uh, play F, you know, play C, and then move it up to E, and da 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 da, da and they're singing." And he goes, "He's like that timing, timing. He's like uh, standard timing, yeah. common time, common time." I love yeah, that. He's like he thinks to ask, like if I'm writing music, I'm gonna want to know the timing. How am I gonna write this? Yeah, and the the, yes, the thing that I love too is the timpanis and the trumpets. So timpani is is just a big, big floor drum. You know, and, and the trumpets are just hitting one note. So everything's just done, done, done. And he's like, God, that's awesome. That's wonderful. That's great. That's great. And that's it, right? And he goes, Oh, that's not it. It's like, put it's the like, vocal the on the same notes. Are going to be. He's like, Oh, that's really good. You know, like, yeah, yeah. it's just. Uh, it's and, then so he's, cool. and then he's like, Put the vocals over the same notes. He's like, yeah. The same notes? He's like, Yeah, it doubles over the horns. And he's like, Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, he loves it. And then the cross cutting with the, the wife traveling home, as you brought up Artie. And, and then so when yeah. the wife gets home and confronts him, I honestly think she's confronting a different person. She's confronting Salieri, who has just he is now sleeping on a cot outside Mozart's bed. In his clothes, he doesn't shower. He's done taking care of himself. Yeah. He's so enthralled in this process. He's like his partner yeah. now. And then she's like, "Get out!" And he's like, I, I, "He he wants to." I feel like yeah. he wants to say, "I'm I'm not that guy anymore." Like for this moment <laughs> yeah, he, in yeah. this house, I'm not that guy. I think yeah. he, he's. Uh, but I watched over him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But and, I was and here and yeah. They, before that too. When he just, do you think we could get some sleep now? Like, the, like Mozart's just been like, he has been taken to empty. Yeah, and the needle is bending on the e, right. and it's just. He's he's shot, and they did great job of having the sun come up on that with the natural light again, and then just him passed out, and the whole the whole setup to that. So now I wonder if Salieri like incorrectly or you know pridefully thinks he killed Mozart by forcing him to continue on writing this instead of resting or something like that. I think it's part of that. I think he wants to be the one who killed Mozart. I think it's part of that, and it's part of squashing all his shows. And, I, and really not let, allowing him to make any but money. But I think, the, uh, real quick, last thing I'll say is, I think part of it is he wants to do that to Mozart, uh, to God, you know, like, yeah. to get vengeance. He's still going towards God a little bit. I, but I can't, it's a complex scene because I can't figure out what it is. I agree more with you, you Artie, is that, but it's a little bigger than that, is that I think he thinks he killed Mozart by commissioning that song to begin with. Mm. I agree um, with you. Because it's really, that's what kills me. And that's when he talks about it. That's when he talks about it. Yeah. When he says, it's, they're really killing a man, and then it comes well, to... Yeah, the, the plan, guy I the mean, door. his plan is to to kill him right. after he's got the song, and then 
pass that off as his own. And had he not had this moment with Mozart where they, it's, they share something, they share a creation. But here, he does blame God. He does blame God for killing him, though. He blames God for killing Mozart. He goes, you killed him, you wouldn't let me kill him. Right, and he, and he, and he, and he makes him live on. Yes. So he can see that his music's being forgotten and Mozart's you is like... You wouldn't let me have one part of it. You, yeah. I couldn't have one little part of it. He had to exist on his own. And I'm here 33 years later being tortured listening to it. Um, but I agree, Artie. I do think he had a transcendent moment there where he got to experience it and he got to be part of it. The character of Salieri in that house was different than Salieri before and after that, like yeah. in the rest of the movie. But that character doesn't survive. I mean, the character we get telling the story is still tortured by Mozart. Oh, yeah. completely, completely. Yeah. It's, a, it's a brief glimpse into... You know, what, kind of what could have been. Had Salieri welcomed Mozart into his circle, it's the Salieri it's we would have had. Right, like yeah. just let him know you're a huge fan. You might have actually made him even better than he was by encouraging he him. he might have made ways. you better. He even says, Mozart even says at certain points, you got to train me in certain things. Right. Like write shorter songs, you know. If Mozart had a TikTok, he'd have to write 30-second songs. Uh, I think. Like, <laughs> do you think they'd be good? I guess that one is really good that I he plays he, at the beginning. I think that was in jest. I think he could figure out TikTok, personally. I think, right. I, I think he, he sits there dressed like George Washington playing piano for 30 seconds. There's <laughs> 5 million followers. And Brennan, to your point, too, is the, his wife, Costanzi, is like, this, this piece, this is going away. This is killing him. This yeah. piece is killing him. She does and she so. locks it away yeah. and then walks in <laughs> oh, to oh, him. Oh, wait, can, I get, can, I, can I get a look at that? He had really kind of, F. Murray Abraham kind of like, he has a real like Cartman but, but, moment but, but, at the end but, but, of this. It's, it's, like, it's like Cartman like with Butters. Like, yeah, and what else? Butters, come on. Butters, I'm ready for you. Like, let's go. Let's go. I'm your best friend, Butters. And then they take it away. No, no, no. Give it back. Yeah, yeah. It. Very, very Cartman. <laughs> That's a really telling moment because she can't figure out, obviously, what makes Mozart tick because... Most of the movie she's saying, or, or a big part of the movie, she's saying, how are you not working on this piece? This person shows up to your door with real money, and you work on the vaudeville piece. Mm-hmm. How have you not finished this piece? Yeah, the vaudeville piece, she's getting commission of the house, I think, right? Right. 50% which is, of which tickets. Which, if we go back to... Which, yeah, which ends up making money. If we go back to Shakespeare and Love, well, they get a share of the profits, but there aren't any. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, right, exactly. We're that not actor has the... the, the does he own the theater and he's also the main actor and everything? That guy? I, I, I don't know his I'm name. I'm not sure. I don't think he... Does he own the theater? I think I, he's more of a producer. Well, looks, how is he giving away 50% of he tickets? He looks like Jason Lee a little bit from uh, the Mallrats and the Kevin Smith movies. A little bit. He, so he's, he, um, he has a severe character arc. He goes from like, oh, he's his best buddy to like, ooh, I didn't realize he was such a shysty businessman to like... Oh, he's a man of his word. Like, yeah, he, he ends he up really, coming through. Yeah, he's he's he was just mad at him. Like, dude, I hired a million people. I'm paying them all. Can you pl- you told me next week? Yeah, that's and, reasonable to be upset about that. And it's shown that Mozart is not a good judge of character throughout the whole the whole movie. He's just oh, not no. a good good oh, judge of character. Yeah, if you if you praise him, he'll love you. Right. He thinks that his best friend is Solieri. Right. You know what? And they don't. They even have different have relationships with each other. Mozart's best friend is Salieri. He doesn't care if it's if Salieri thinks that or not. His best friend is Salieri. Salieri does not view it that way. He's like, you know. He also doesn't know that Salieri's been sabotaging his entire life. You know, so it's it, it's it's tough. It is that Butters Cartman relationship. It is. It's, you know? It really yeah. is. What a good comparison. Yeah. 
and there's a sadness there that Mozart really has no friends. I mean, he yeah. has not real he friends. Has his wife. Yeah, right. like a, that's why when he goes out, he buddies. wants everyone to cheer for him because right. he doesn't have anyone who, who exactly He's except his wife, guy. who's just. Yeah, and the wife awesome. has her final confrontation with Solieri there. And again, like that must have been real confusing in the theaters with that whole nudity scene cut. Because yeah. it's like, well, why is she like kicking him out so much? Like, why does she dislike him so much? Like, I would have gathered, so I would have been like, oh, she must be suspicious of him. Yeah, the way we are yeah. as an audience, you but know, then, I would have been able to. But what it that. ends up actually being is the, like a real confrontation between right. you know. And, a and, Harvey Weinstein character and right. a, you know, and, and a victim. Exactly. That nudity scene really gives you the vile nature of yeah. Salieri. I think that was his lowest moment. Intention. I think he oh, really just yeah. wanted to, to... he. It was like his way of getting back at Mozart for having his girl without without actually doing anything that could incriminate himself, rather just shamed his yeah, wife. Yeah, it showed he didn't know what he was doing, because when it actually right. came to fruition, he just p- panicked. He couldn't do it. I think he did plan to do it. It's just, but when he got there, he was oh my God, what am I See, doing? I couldn't figure that out. I couldn't figure out if he planned to do it. Oh, he did. Oh, well, he then, did. well, let's yeah. look at with the, his plans to kill Mozart, you know? And he has, right. and, but what and if we'll, we'll is... take him down, and then, and then the music's playing, he goes, yeah, we'll take him down this, and then the music stops, he goes... But the actual killing, and, it's, and then all the music cuts in the silence, right. and just looks at his hands, and you know, could could you kill a man with your hands? Like, and it's just dead silent. But he doesn't kill him with his hands, right? He well, does what Cartman would do. He develops this, you know, sadistic, yeah. you know, character. But his plan he doesn't is, actually kill him. By the way, no, he doesn't. No, no, he doesn't. But, he, but his he plan he does. He thinks to. he's he confessing thinks he to it. He's, you know, he's does great. he even confess to it? He's kind of like in the very um, beginning. The priest, the priest says, "Oh, Mozart, yes, the man you say you." were to have killed right and he gets excited you heard that but then we but then we he doesn't ever actually confess no and he wants to be remembered for the guy who killed Mozart because that's pretty much all he has to cling to that was his goal that was his plan it didn't work out and but he you see the scene like he didn't kill him yeah and he well he he says he's mad at God because God wouldn't let him kill him Right. God had to kill him God had to take that from him he had he he was alone in a, a house with him he could have killed him and left but no one know, would have known for the better. But we know about that character that he's not really capable of that. No, because he's not. he could, he didn't go through the thing with his wife either. He's yeah. and and that whole scene about him looking at his hands. But when it comes down to it, could you kill a man with your hands? The answer is no. Know. I don't know. And the answer is no. He doesn't do no. it. Yeah. Right. So the the final scene then is that we mentioned it already here with the with that mass body grave and you know the funeral the was just the, the yeah the the. the, the the generic coffin. What kind of just... job is that? Lime shoveler. Like, yeah. you have like a 28 year lifespan if you're a lime shoveler. It, it kind of is sad that a figure that we now know and I guess generally love, Mozart, hundreds of years later, was just a body, just another body thrown in a mass grave. That... Who never knew of the, the impact and success you have. Right. This is a cue for you to go on a, a Herman Melville rant if you. <laughs> Yes, yes, you know, I love my Herman Melville rants. Yes. Pe- people don't realize, like, the ABCs and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star are the same song and they're Mozart. Well, like, his songs are so memorable, they use them to teach school children in the 18 and 1900s the ABCs. Because the beat and the melody is so memorable. Interesting. Yeah, uh, it is wild to think that someone who could be that influential... And that iconic musically would never have known the type of success. Although he knew how talented he was, at least going off the character that we saw within this movie. 
he knew how how much talent he had, but he just never got to know how successful he would be. Right, and and in fact, even had t- people telling him he was doing it the wrong way. It's too long. There's too many notes. And in his head, he's like, well, which notes do you want me to take out? Like, uh, Yeah, right. He's <laughs> like, do it better. Like, tell me what's wrong, you right. know? Right. He knows yeah. he's better than everyone. Yeah, and it's it's torture. for It's it's like being a mathematician in a world where no one understands math. Oh, can you imagine that? Yeah. Before we go into the awards, I want to just throw this out there. What what do you think were the biggest flaws of this movie? Because this is a movie we, I mean, over the over the time that we've discussed it, we've pretty much waxed poetic about this movie, and and it's it is a well made film. Like, let's be honest here. Yeah. But you know, when we start getting down to it and comparing it to some of these others, what what would you say are some of the flaws of this movie? There's some holes. Um, when you first meet Mozart chasing the the girl around. You think they, like, barely know each other. And then he's like, will you marry me? And she's like, no, of course not. And then she's like, I love you. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I love you, too. Do you really love me? Like, it it, 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 it seemed unnatural. Yeah, and then, there were some other holes, too, with with um, with the wife. And then with Salieri and the wife's relationship felt a little... I don't know. It's, it's, some people were the victims of hard editing. I, I disagree with you on that. On that, will you marry me scene? I mean that. Yeah. It reminds me of the apartment. The end of the apartment is. I love you. Shut up and deal. <laughs> yeah, where they just you know, the small talks of, a little. Get married, you. You're I, you're vile. You're crude or whatever. I've, I've never seen. And the then apartment. she ends up. Uh, she's the marry him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't ruin anything. Yeah, I figured. I just mean some holes, like, vibe-wise. You know, some things kind of it, felt a little weird. Like, the, the maid felt a little weird. Like, I don't know, some things felt a little weird. I felt that there was a... It's hard to There pinpoint. was... It progressed way too quickly until all of a sudden he's really sick and he's not doing well. They could have hinted a little more of his... It, it could have been gradual. The generation, gradual yeah. decline, yeah. A little it's, more explanation for why he's ha- drinking and taking medicine. Right. You I know, the wife like the just leaves one hour. day. Yeah, right. and I, I think that some of the romances could have been a little sharper there, too. Like, yeah. they showed the courtship of his wife, and then he's married, and then they kind of suggested him. I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't have minded a four-hour movie with an intermission. I really would have been all right with that. Just, like, a little more time spent. I think he clearly didn't want to make it a biopic. So he didn't want to get too much into the details of his is. life. It's what it is. You know, you got to. Uh, that's uh, where I feel the holes are. Well, that's what I feel well, the holes is, are. Is, I is, think it needs is, a little more time. Is Mozart the main character? No, Salieri. It's, yeah. a, bi- it's a biopic of what Salieri thinks his life was, basically. It's not a biopic. It's a. It is a artistic expression of what music is to artists. I agree yeah. with that. In, I just in think a world of people who generally are not artists, right? And it feels like it's it just what I should say is it feels like it's filmed like a biopic. It is. I mean, in subject material, and you got to you got to remember too, he's taking from the play. So, I think if you ask Milos Forman, were you trying to make a story about Mozart? He would say no. And I heard him say on the when people ask me what it's about, and this is the generic director answer most directors say when they say this is, people ask me what it's about. You know, it could be about a lot of things. It's really whatever you make of it. And when I hear a director say that, I I think that he wants there to be some open-ended interpretation there with all of those characters. And does that leave some holes? Yeah, and I do think that some of the female characters were a little underdeveloped. And hearing hearing Milo's foreman say that, though, does make me feel a little better. Like, I like when directors do that. Leave some ambiguity for what you think. And that's how I feel, like... 
At one point, I thought Salieri was closet gay. And he may mm. have been. Interesting. Because he... It, Interesting. I, I mean, I think he's a virgin. They say he's, he he's pledges his celibacy. Yeah, so... And he's chaste. Yeah, right, so... And I also thought the fat, sweaty guy who looks like Slimer, one of the three... <laughs> the three Muppet... The Muppet guy, the Muppet yep, hecklers. Yep, uh-huh. um, I thought he might have been... Because he kind of, like, had some reactions to some things, like he was... I don't know. They, they were hinting at him being maybe gay. So yeah. would you go as far to say that maybe Salieri has a physical attraction to Mozart? No, I wouldn't go so I far. I didn't take okay. that just because the creature. Yeah, you know, I don't, he's, I don't get he's there disgusted yeah. at his person. But he's also right. attracted to him, not physically. He's attracted but to his, his mind his, and his, his talent. His, yeah. he, he is a tr- yeah. just in general. I don't yeah. mean physically. I think he idolizes him. That's I think sure. he idolizes yeah. him. Yeah, like he's infatuated with him. His his talent. Yeah, as far as, like, if I'm saying, like, drawbacks to this movie or, or flaws in the movie, I don't think I can really pinpoint anything specific. I'll just kind of, like, just reflect on an overall rewatchability of it. You know, I, I don't think it's as fully rewatchable as some of the movies we've discussed so far. It's, it's, I like it. If it's on again, I'll watch it again. But it's not, like, one that, like, on a rainy day I'll throw on. I disagree with that. If it's on, I'll leave it on. Yeah. If I, I, you don't catch it on TV, but I, rewatching this, like when I, if I've seen a movie and I watch it for this podcast, I try to watch it a little more analytically. I tried to do that with this. It was immediately just sucked in and entertained and yeah, had a great exactly. time. Like it's, I love this movie. And I came in dreading it. Like I thought it was going to be like, oh, this is the, the first one's the longest movie we've covered so far. So I just was kind of like, oh boy, this is going to be a little bit of a chore here. And I had the same experience. Sucked right in. Sucked right in. Acting is so great all around. It moves. It moves quick. It does too. move. That does it move. does. And maybe, maybe some of the underdeveloped things, that's the cost of that. You know, the cost right. of moving fast is there's going to be some things you got to skip over. So, I don't know. Okay, so before we get to the BPC Awards here, we do have a couple of Twitter questions. We go into the old mailbag, the BPC mailbag. Uh, we'll start with Ronaldo Sosa. Ronaldo Sosa is at rsantana2024. All right, what do you Twitter. got, Ronaldo? What do you got? Have you seen both the theatrical and the director's cut? If you have, which one do you like more? So we talked a little bit about this, or we've kind of referred to it a little bit. And, I mean, I think that, like... Maybe some of us are a little unsure as to whether we saw the theatrical version. I tend to think that I did uh, because I don't remember the nudity scene in there. And I, I don't I, remember it being three hours. So I think I probably saw the, the 241. I, I thought I had only seen the theatrical, but in retrospect, I've only seen the director's cut. Yeah, so if we look at it this way... And I'm pretty sure that I was working off of VHS from the uh, public school budget. Yes, so right. You were, the you were the theatrical version. With a teacher <laughs> fast-forwarding <laughs> right. any scenes that are inappropriate. So I think to look at the question this way, if we look at the t- scenes that were taken out, which was, we talked about before, the nudity scene and the inviting... Director's cut's better. And then the other scenes were taken out with the dogs. The scene with the dogs was not in the original cut. Oh, okay. Director's cut. Yeah. yeah. So I think that taking those scenes out changes the movie thematically, and I hate that. I, I hate it too. I think they're uncomfortable scenes, and so from a general viewer, I mean, it maybe makes it a little more comfortable for them to take it out, but it takes away from the story. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to make a more PG-13, maybe family-friendly movie to do better, and the, and the irony there is this movie did not do great at the box offices compared oh, really? to other Best Picture winners. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it didn't even crack the top five in movies there. We mentioned before it was a big year in movies. So, right. 
Uh, yeah, so I think to answer that question is, is that I think thematically, the, cutting those scenes from the director's cut to the theatrical cut, it hurt the movie. So I like the director's cut better. And I kind of feel that way a lot of times with movies. Like, I want to see the director's cut. I want to see the director's vision, not like the studio version. Yeah, and Ronaldo, after you listen to this episode, let us know what you think of our answer. Yeah, I mean, or, or did you do you agree? What do you think? Yeah, did, yeah. You, did you like the theatrical version better? Our next question is from frequent flyer Kathy Short. Kathy. Catherine Short asks, How did you feel about the portrayal of the relationship between Castanz and Mozart? Do you think it provided much-needed levity to the film? Brendan, I'll start with you. What did you think about their relationship? I feel really bad for Stanzi. Um, she's a dedicated wife who really does love him. And were it not for his gift, he'd be a loving husband. Um, but because of his gift, he's a tattered man, can't keep control of himself, and he goes to drinking, and he goes to se sexual expeditions, and can't return the love. But it is evident that he loves her, he just can't do it. So yeah. um, I think the movie Graves gives a great, uh, I guess levity was the word, mm -hmm. it's great, it's sad. Yes. Yeah. I think Mozart does that himself. I don't think the relationship between the two of them adds the, you know, little bit of so, comic relief. So then, to ask it in a different way, do you think that the movie's better served with them just touching on his romantic life and keeping it between the intense relationship between him and F. F. Murray, or no, is it? I thought it was done. I thought the way it was is fine. Um, I just but don't you didn't think, feel levity out of it. I think okay. Mozart did that himself. Okay. I thought that's what I'm saying. Okay. I think so, his personality. Do you think that the relationship brought levity to the movie? No, she's just part of the part of the movie. She he really does that on his own. Yeah, his 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 whole step. Yeah, his the, la the laugh yeah. alone right. does it. And and that's yeah. I mean, I think it's it's nice to know that Mozart has the dedicated companion, and I think it brings levity in that sense to know that he's not alone. But I agree with that. The sadness is that he can't. It's love unrequited. She loves him, and he just he doesn't have the capacity to do it. So, in a way, it gives levity, but it, it's failed. I guess failed levity. Well, and I'm going to agree with both of you in that I think that Mozart's character alone, just the effervescence of him, brings levity to, you know, to what could have been a very intense and dark character. You know, you got a, you got a different feel from it, just how, how Jose decided to portray him. And I think on top of that, Having the romance in there, the scene of them on the floor, you know, there, there was some nice moments there. You know what? Catherine might be right. Kathy Short might be right. I, I'm starting to think, you know, because both of them are the two in this movie that are not elitist. Mm -hmm. Everyone in this movie is royal and elite and elegant, and they're not. And even when she travels to wherever she goes and dances with that other guy, this elite... She's like, this feels wrong. It doesn't feel right. right. She wants to go back, and then she goes back to Mozart, and he's sick, and, and you know. Yeah. And even but, the vaudeville guy is elite. I, I, so I, mean, I think Kathy's is, right. Yeah. Even the vaudeville guy is elite. He, he runs the vaudeville circuit. Right. Yeah. He, he, he looks down on, well. you work for me, Mozart. You right. know, you're under me. Right. Yeah, I, think Kathy, I think Kathy's right. The two of them in the movie bring levity to it. I don't know if their relationship exactly does. And then one last question here, and this is uh, an inside staffer question uh, from Grant. BPC here. Uh, Jay Dowski. Oh, okay. Jay Dowski, you uh, may have heard on the American Beauty and Gentleman's Agreement episode, asks, in your honest and humble opinion, 
is this the best, best picture winner of the 1980s? I'll ask this out of the ones we've covered. It's only the second 80s movie we've covered so far. Rain Man's the first one. If you compare this, so I'll say just to Jay to answer the question, like just looking at it, I think, you know, my opinion may change as we cover all of these, but I think the one we're covering in a couple weeks, Platoon, is my choice for the best, best picture winner of the 80s. I think that that's, mm. that, that would be my pick. I do think this is right there. It could be neck and neck with it. Could, how, do, how do you think this compares to Rain Man? Um, I like... Oh man, that's hard. That is a tough They're one. so different. Yeah. But they're very similar. Very, like, human stories. Mm-hmm. You know, there's great costumes and everything in Mozart, but that's not the story. The story is these people with these very basic struggles. Yeah. Fortunately, you do have some time till our rankings episode in May. Yeah, I, let me. So think. you will. You won't have to necessarily right, just yet. Think. But that's what but, we're stacked up. But I will. Uh, but I will say to Jay, I can't answer that because I haven't seen a lot of the. I, I, not a lot, but I, I. I haven't seen every '80s Best Picture winner. I can't say it's the best one. I will say I do have a little promo coming as we get into the other nominees of of, of this year about my thoughts on the '80s in the Oscars, and they're they're not going to be very... Let's just say they're going to be pretty scathing comments toward uh, what the Academy thought was a good movie in the 80s and what they decided to nominate. Yeah, I, I feel the same way about the 80s, too, is that while I love movies from the 80s, I don't love them for their artistic ability. I love them for their pop culture um, references and their pop culture strength. I think as far as artistic ability goes and, and Oscar-wise... It, it was one of the saddest decades. Yeah, and we'll say that for a little bit when we get to the other right. nominees. Well, cocaine was very prevalent in the 80s. <laughs> right. So it was crack. And now it's time for the BPC Awards. We always start with MVP, the most valuable player. A little tricky this week. Not for me, it wasn't. Why is it tricky? Well, I mean, we got some contenders. I didn't think oh, it was tricky. At least tricky. we have two contenders, or maybe three. But uh, or you didn't think it was tricky already? Who is your MVP? <sighs> F. Scott Fitzgerald. No, F. F. Fitzgerald. F. Murray. Oh, it was tricky after all. (laughs) F. Murray Abraham is my MVP for his performance as Salieri. Absolutely. Salud. Chef's kiss. Beautiful. I'm going to deflect to you, Brennan, before I get my thoughts. I do love Salieri in this movie, but I'm a Mozart guy. Wow. Um, We'll say. Yeah. I think it's... You know, you go from Animal House to Amadeus, and it's, uh, I think it's an unexpected performance, to say the least. Um, he plays it perfectly. He's the uh, childish prodigy that it just works. He plays sickness well. He plays insanity well. He, he plays love well. He plays anger, arrogance. He does it all. I, I think he's the MVP. It is an incredible, incredible performance. It, it really is. Like, it... it my first viewing was all about F. Murray Abraham. This viewing was all about Tom Jose and that everything he did on the screen, it was just, it made this movie something a little different. Yeah. And I, I think it had to be so tough for him to sit there and not win that Oscar, you know, in a year where he could have had it. And just like that, I'm going to agree with Artie and say that my okay. MVP is F. Murray Abraham because he is the humanity in this movie, and not the good part of humanity, the the human, the part dark of human. part of the human. animal yeah. part of yeah. humanity, yeah, the lizard brain of of the human, and it, boy, it is the type of role that you get it when Emilio's foreman says, "I think whatever you take out of this movie is what you take out of this movie," 
Because I think in watching a character like that, it's hard to not reflect on it and be like, ooh, I would never have done that. Or, ooh, maybe I've done that a couple times in the workplace. Or, ooh, maybe I've felt that way a little bit. Maybe I've felt that type of envy. Maybe I've felt that type of animosity. And it's, I think a character like that is, can be a bit of a mirror and can show people where they're doing things right and where maybe they're doing things wrong. I think it just adds so many layers to this movie where if we talked about rewatchability, you can watch this at any different part of your life and maybe get something a little different out of it. And I think that's because of his character. Now, that being said, I think there's layers to the Mozart character for sure. And I think a lot of what I just said about Solieri's character also does apply. Because it is so similar. I, I think, think we're both, we're all right. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a matter of... You guys are the global expert. No, I think so. we're, well, I'm the global expert. I think we're all right, though. It's, I think it's, it's both you know, of them. You, have a, you have a dual lead here, and you have two guys who are more than worthy to win, and it happened to be F. F. Murray Abraham, but they're both game-changing performances. I, 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 I agree, it's really hard. You know what you asked me in three weeks? I may say Mozart, you know? Yeah, right. Today I say Salieri, because I watched it today. You, but your description of what Mozart brings to this, he makes it memorable. He's different. Yeah. You know, it's it. I had to pick. I picked Salieri. Like it's yeah. not an easy pick. And hey, the Academy had to pick that year too. People have to pick someone besides Mike Trout every year. You know. You yeah. <laughs> and this isn't one. A lot of times we have these, and we're forced to pick, and we pick. Like this is one they're literally the Academy had to choose between who's going to get the statue, and they and they went with with Abraham. Well, they went with the older actor too, which is sometimes a default. So you yeah, gotta I mean, if that was in their mind. Listen though, at the same time as this was. A career performance for both guys. And sure. Jose sure. didn't do much after this. Right. And Abraham's actually, the older actor did more after this. Right. And uh, there was a quote from the actress who played Costanz, Elizabeth oh. Berridge, about this movie and about the cast. She said simply, we were part and parcel in something that was greater than we were. I think that that's, there's a generality to that statement, but I think it's also recognizing that no one from this movie really went on to do ever, anything ever again. You know, Milos for, Foreman notwithstanding, you know, he, he had his, you know, he, he went full of cuckoo's nest. They you know, had a career. Yeah, but they, but they were never on this stage again. They all came together. This, this is a quote from Tom Holsey, and he said that every single person, cast and crew, he said the artistry of every person who worked every job did so from a storytelling point of view, from the makeup artist to the set designer, Everyone was committed to telling a story. And I think that when you get that complete of an effort, you get something like this that's just a little bigger than the sum of his parts. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote Ving, Ram, Ving Rames has about when he was on the set of Pulp Fiction. Mm. He said he's never... It, it reminds me of Elizabeth Berridge's quote about how everyone was just part of something bigger than what they were doing. Yeah, Ving Rames said he's never been on a movie set with such reverence for the script in every department. Every department, director of photography, cinematography, costume, everything. They were all, what you said, committed to the storytelling aspect of their yeah. job. Because the script, they knew the script wasn't changing. And Ving Rhames said that Pulp Fiction is one of the only scripts he's done is where, where the script is, is the movie. Yeah. There's no ad-libbing, there's no, no leniency whatsoever. It's, this is... They went with the script and made the script into a movie. You know, and I've referenced the movie already two or three times uh, in this podcast, but I'm going to go back to Shakespeare in Love. The same thing happened in that movie. Uh, they all realized that being a part of Shakespeare's production, the production was bigger 
than each of themselves. Yes, Mercurios yeah. says it perfectly. Or, uh, yes, uh, he, well, he thinks the play is called. Change the name. He, well, he, <laughs> he thinks the play is called Mercurio, right. and then he comes up to him. He's like, "Listen, he's like." I die. He's like, yeah. He's like, all right. This is fine, but it's working. So just keep going with it. Yeah. Like, yeah. He actually says, "How about Romeo and Juliet?" He's he's the one. Oh, who is he? Yeah. The right. One They're like, oh, good idea. Like you know, right. thirty written on as the if page. he already yeah, right. <laughs> as if it was his idea. You know, and again, why I love Shakespeare and love is it it really embodies a lot of the the movies that we talk about. But yes, I, I think this movie is a great example. I mean, the use of lighting, the the story itself, um, and and Mozart, like you said, and they use it for. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, and he oh, he's, he has the, you know the song. It's like it's, dun 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 dun. Yes, dun. that's Mozart. Like knows all it. he has. Well, that's in the count, beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah, but he has countless songs like that. Yeah, right. And it's and so they chose a story that everyone can attach to. Everyone knows Mozart, whether you're ten years old. And or it's just somehow it's old. somehow neurologically easy to memorize like right. it's easy to remember well and that's why this movie it grab it can grab it, it's you so true it's, it's so true it's, yes i know i know mozart right yeah. this yeah. complex thing i get it it's it's riffy right. it's catchy I, right it's obviously milo's form and it's obviously quentin tarantino yeah. it's the directors yeah, they're like it starts, they, it starts they, them. it's like a head coach of a of a team they bring everyone together this is the culture this is what we're going with and you in this felt like Cuckoo's Nest a little bit with the way it was kind of like everyone perfectly moves within mm. the frame. The camera's always... He has a lot of choices for where he could put the cameras in these rooms and his choices are correct. Like, mm. he has a lot of choices. He could put it in the corner, up in the, in, on the ground. He, 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 where he picks, he's, he's consistent with it. There's only three or four. They cyclically, cyclically move through the camera shots Really well done. Yeah, and here's really... a, a quote to support that, Artie, is Schiavelli, Vincent Schiavelli, who's in the opening scene there, who's also in Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. There's a little bit of time, uh, 10 years between the two movies. Mills Foreman called him up and he goes, I, I got a role for you, it's a small one, but you come in, yep, sure, I'll do it. And of it's course. A very small role. Yeah, of, of course. course. Yeah, you right. made my career. Of they course. filmed the opening scene and it's just him walking into the building and walking up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Cut! Vincent, TV is ruining you. He's like, what? He's like, TV is ruining you. Uh, he's like, he's all he was criticizing was how he was walking. He says you're walking like a, you're walking like a TV star, not a movie, like not. Wow. Not, not a theater. No, yeah, not a theatrical not, not yeah, artist. Yeah, yeah. He goes, so I did it again, and you know, and he goes, perfect, and they moved on, and it was just like, all I did was walk from one end of the room to the other, and he saw something. That's and, Quentin. Yeah. That's Quentin. That's yeah. Quentin shit. Yeah. Quentin notices little subtleties. But that already, like you said. Everybody moves a certain it, it's, way. It's, yeah. So when cool. he's when he's being carried out by Salieri because he passed out at the play, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's three boys with angel wings standing there in a perfect diagonal line. It's a beautiful shot. Wow. And he carries them out through the thing, and the three boys, one walks, then the other, then the other, and they move in such a way that it, it's it's really symmetrical wow. and it's choreographed. It's obviously deliberate and timed, and that kind of shit is is noticeable. Subconsciously, if you're not looking for it, but if you're looking for it, it's even more. You yeah, appreciate it cool. even more. Very cool. I'm okay, try, I'm trying to bring to the to the forefront <laughs> in this podcast in <laughs> all these episodes. Cinematography is really awesome, and if you could find a way to to find ways to appreciate it, it really adds to some bad movies. You might notice have some shit really well done. LVP, 
this was a little tougher. We all kind of said this. You had to you had to really look closer to see who was maybe not uh, not walking the right way across the screen <laughs> here. Yeah, in the terms of L- LVP, Cynthia Nixon is my LVP, and I I think she's meant to be a very important character, and she just doesn't deliver. And this is the maid. She overacts maid. like like crazy. She overacts. Uh, I think she's very young at this point. I mean, she's probably 18, 13, 19. Yeah. Oh, wow. That... No, she's older than 13, yeah. 18, 19, I'd, I'd say. It feels like there were a lot of hard cut scenes, that she was in it more. She didn't work with what they were going for. They used her They used her role for what they needed it right, for. Right, right, like I was, was saying. It. Yeah, and the and holes in her all. emotion, it, it doesn't make sense. Right, in the end, she's crying for yeah, Mozart, what's... but... Yeah, that doesn't make I sense mean, with I, what she said. Yes, yeah, it's almost like there was a cut scene that uh, I guess they had a heart to heart, or but Eight, I don't know. Yeah, maybe eighteen, they, year, 18 years old. She's eighteen. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's maybe they I reconciled. Think. You know, right? Or you know, she helped him with something, or he helped her with something. But so whatever her, it is, that's we your don't LVP. see it. All it's right, all right, there. that's a good LVP. And um, yeah, I think that's fair. That's I a think good LVP. It's hard to find one in this. It is a good one. Tricky one. He assembles his cast. Very carefully. Yeah, you yeah. found one with holes. Do you want me to do my? I want to do. Yeah. I want to hear yours, man. I want to hear yours. I want to hear your. All right, LVP. let's go. I'll do my LVP. I want to hear so yours. I, I had a hard time, and I think already you texted me on the side last night. Like, I said there are no LVPs. Yeah. You have to pick and, one. And yeah, so again, it's least. So it's just you know right. somebody's on the low it's end. Relative. And again, I like the main character, but I, yeah. I she's definitely in the in discussion. Kind of went with this one. It has nothing to do with his performance. I thought his performance was fine, but I thought the value of what the character meant thematically just really wasn't conveyed with enough weight. And that's going to be Mozart's father. I thought that Leopold, the Leopold Mozart character, played by Roy Dotrice, it should have been more of a central theme here. And it kind of was, but I just don't think it was weighty enough. It didn't it didn't leave me with a big enough impression at the end of this. Like, I didn't come into today wanting to talk about his daddy issues so much because there wasn't, there were more interesting things to talk about in this film than that. And I thought that the actor was just kind of a little dry and his, he just didn't really own the screen on the couple of stage, the couple moments he was on the stage. So I, I, I don't dislike him, but I just, he's just my LVP. He's my least valuable player. He's mine too. Wow. Okay. I, I gave gonna... you the opportunity to go See, first. Then. I thought you were going to say the priest. That's why I wanted you to go first. Okay. Interesting. Okay. See, I, I surprised you, were, you. I thought you were going to say the priest because you kind of hinted that you, you 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 swerved us. You swerved us. Swerved All right. You. Okay. Good. And and now I'm going to go around and talk about the priest after you guys. All right. Because <laughs> he's in the mix too. So, he's in the mix too. But so the dad could have been a really memorable character, and Mozart and his back and forth, and the wife and his back and forth. Could have been really memorable. Um, he he could have had character. It, it's it <laughs> again, Pulp Fiction. Just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, he's in great. scenes. Right. He doesn't add to them. He's he's not. I, you know, and you have to pick a least. And I, he he's he has opportunities. He got he got called up and he's playing. Someone's injured. Yeah. He is at bats. Yeah, and he's he, getting at bats. And he's getting at bats. And he's not converting. Yeah, and I would agree. It, that's that. He's my LVP, and and I do want to say too is some of the other things we talked about, and maybe some of the potholes and length. I don't think you had to make this movie longer 
for his scenes to have more weight. You no. could have kept these scenes just as long as they were and had a little more impact in there. Right. And I, and I thought, I thought yeah. he, he dragged with that. The point that they were conveying is he's the one person that could make Mozart blush. Mozart doesn't blush. Right. He's the one person that can make Mozart blush. And I got more out of that from the painting of him right. than the actual actor. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know what? I'll even go... I'm going to really get technical here. He emotes incorrectly in certain scenes. Ooh. There are scenes where you, he's supposed to make you feel a certain way, and he kind of makes a face where you you feel off. You feel awkward. You feel confused. He's not doing the right thing. He's not acting correctly. Yeah, he's he's emoting something, and you're you're getting that he's acting, but it doesn't go. It doesn't add up. Right. Yeah, uh, I we're so we're simpatico with that already. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's oh, why I, I wanted. See, you, I, that's why I wanted you to go to first. I had a feeling nice, I surprised you. Very nice. That one. You did. I thought you were going priest. I thought you were going priest there. But uh, the priest they appropriately cut out of it, so he didn't have to play that big of a role. How, he doesn't that, have, that cool he, scene in the he, beginning with the with the piano. He's so minimal. How yeah. can you be least yeah. valuable? I, what I would have liked to see, maybe it's just me, but I, what I. I think there's a gap in Salieri's um, kind of weird religious or version of religious, you know, pie, piety. He's never truly religious. He's, and, and he's basically just prideful. That's what he's I, borderline, like paganistic. Yeah, well, he's, or he's, satanic. No, he's he's. It's almost, there are Satan vibes in there. Yeah, there, there are biblical references. Which in there. I mentioned there's, earlier yeah. is he's really praying to Satan. He's really yeah. making a deal with Satan. Which, if you not think if God. you think about it ideologically, is you're just. You're just wanting for yourself. Right. It's yeah. a selfish one. He's and like people are like, oh, Mozart's selfish, but all he does is work all day. But he's Salieri is truly selfish yes. at his core. Right. And so, what I would have liked to see, you know, I can't rewrite the movie, but what I would like to see at least some version of the priest being like, you know, that's not God. <laughs> right. Yeah, kind of you putting know. him in his place a little bit. Okay, so. Participation award. This is everyone loves to see people get trophies. So we're going to give out a couple more. So this is uh, our honorable mention, if you will. Participation, Participation award, Brendan. Yeah, the emperor. I mean, the emperor is great. Um, he not a great person, but <laughs> no, uh, but, uh, but the character separating the so art from well. the artist. Yeah, um, Wait, I'm sorry. The emperor important. is not a good person. No. Why? No. Busted for child. Pornography. Oh, you mean yeah. in real life? In real the life. actor? Yeah. Oh. yeah, the actor. The actor. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Oh, yeah. oh, are oh we yeah. really? Saying, oh, are we saying... The guy uh, from Beetle, Jones? The guy from Jones? Yeah. Are we saying the actor oh. or the character? No, it, it's the performance. We'll the separate performance. the art from the... Yeah, that's where you threw me for a loop. I'm like, is the emperor? Oh. No, no. Like, yeah. So what? Yeah, they, they went into his uh, throne and in his hard drive and found out. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know that about the actor that he yeah. was. Yeah. yeah, well, that's terrifying. No bueno. Yeah, so that's horrible. But um, I think he, as far as... Performance. Performance-wise... Hey, we did a whole spacey episode here, so it's, you know, we, okay. we, we separate right. the art from the artist. So I, and again, I didn't know this about the guy. But, right. But anyway, performance-wise, I think he does exactly what he has to do. It's, it's not great. It doesn't, you don't get blown back by it, but he fills his role perfectly, and he plays the aloof, the aloof emperor who likes music but can't do it himself. A super solid performance, for sure. At him. My honorable mention slash participation for this is the Emperor as well. Okay, with the same one. Had him down. He's uh, off the field I, antics aside. I, I also had right. the sweaty guy who looked like Slimer because <laughs> uh, he was a really memorable character. That's a good one. He yeah. really was memorable. He always added to every time they cut to him, 
every time the camera cut to him, he made a face that I went, oh, like, I mean, this yeah, is, you're funny, dude. This is the fourth time you're mentioning him, so he really is an he, honorable yeah, you're like, yeah, that's right. I've mentioned are, yeah. him honorably many times. You are giving him participation yeah. awards here. And then, and that's... And then the guy with the dogs I liked as well. Oh, that's a good one. Who didn't, like make, the, who didn't one. make the theatrical cut? I loved it because when Mozart goes back to ask him for money, he really does a great job acting where he's yeah. like, he, he looks like he's going to give in, and then he goes, no. And Mozart's like, come on, you got to give me something. He's like, the answer's no. I love that. Yeah, really great yeah. acting job. So my participation award, it's not one person I can name here because it's, uh, it's a whole deal here, but it's the sound department. Uh, and it was quite a few people in there, and they won an Oscar for it. But to me, I don't think I have ever really seen a movie outside of, like, Saving Private Ryan maybe, that the sound has so directly impacted the delivery of the movie. Mm, good one. I just think it's it's just done so exquisitely and so perfectly that there it's as as well earned an Oscar as there ever has been is this winning for for sound and I you know again Saving Private Ryan is another one that beach scene like you you sound like you're getting shot at you know you, so. usually I say things are borderline perfect I think it's actually perfect yeah, in this movie I, I you know I'm it's with perfect lip syncing minor lip syncing issues aside but that's that has more to do with the, the actors because sure. there were some who nailed it like the the parrots doing the pop. Oh, they 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 had it sure. down. They had it down. Uh, I'm a lip sync. That's that's a pet peeve for me. I, I'm looking yeah, no, for it. I'm looking to nail people on it. And there were a couple of uh, opera singers who got hit with it here. But yeah, that's I want the sound department with that scene of the movie. Well, we might all agree on this one. Dare I go first? Go for it. Yeah, it's that final scene. Is the um, trying to write the requiem? We're trying to finish the requiem. Which, uh, if history. If I'm right on history, which I haven't always been, I don't think Requiem was ever completed by Mozart. Is that right? I see. I don't know anything about that. I think people completed it for him afterwards. Um, oh, so they were kind of they were kind of toying with history a little bit in the narrative there. Right. Interesting. Right. But um, yeah, that that final scene where Salieri is with Mozart, Salieri is writing it for Mozart. They're trying to connect. I get it. I don't get it. <sighs> the music on top. It's perfect. I'm going to just, just, I'll just hop right on and say I agree. I think it's a perfect scene. Uh, I watched it again today, rewound the while. It's just, it's just awesome. This is yeah. absolutely awesome. Listening to the actors talk about the scene was incredible. It's just, if you want to Google, if you want to Google or YouTube making of Amadeus, you can kind of fast forward to the end. It's an hour-long video. You can kind of fast forward to the end. Watch them talk about that. It's just so fascinating. And it's what makes me love new movies. Just hearing right. that, hearing that and, and the making of that, just to me, yeah, that's, that's a scene of the movie for me. I don't even think I'm going out on a limb by saying I think that's one of the most memorable scenes in movie history. Mm. I'm, I've, I never forgot it the first time I saw it, and I couldn't wait for it this time, yeah. and it was even better this time. It's, it's definitely top five. It is an awesome scene. It, I'm, I'm in agreement. It's the same scene. I, I gotta think it's one of the best scenes we've discussed on this podcast so it's, far. It's, you know, it, and I, you know, and maybe you, when the rankings episode, we're going to talk about some of our top scenes out of the movies. It's it's about. one of those scenes where you don't, don't, if you just Google one scene from this movie and watch it, if you Google that and watch it, you'll be like, wow, this is serious. Yeah, I need yeah. to see this This movie. is serious. Yeah. This is yep. real. Yes. Yeah, clean wow. sweep there. Clean Unanimous. sweep there. Yeah. Time for the time machine recast. Hmm. 
Can I go first? Am I sure? Go. go first? Sure. Okay. Shoot. So I am not recasting my LVP. We don't have Joey R here today. I know that's a standard standard practice, but I'm going to get the off the scene negative vibes out of this film and take Jeffrey Jones out. Uh, I liked his performance in it. It's fine, you know. The Emperor. The Emperor. Yeah. Since we already have him kind of involved in the Oscars, and we tend to we tend to always take newer people and put them in older movies. That's so I let's take an older that. actor and put him in a cool. in a, a newer movie. So I got our boy SLO. I so knew it. I knew Lawrence Olivier. Three minutes ago, <laughs> let's like get him in there. Something. Let's slide him in. I knew it. We could give him a cigarette or two. You know, he can pop on it while he sits on his throne and tries to play piano. Uh, uh, let's why not? You know, and it can even be can, whatever age you want to take SLO. Now, when a younger SLO may not agree to such a small role, but well, they could sell it to him as you're the emperor. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Already, time machine recast. So, remember my time machine recast in Sound of Music, where I recast Todd from Breaking Bad as yep. uh, Rolf. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Jesse this, Clemens. This one's on that level. Okay. Oh, he's he's calling a shot. I have. Uh, I'm re- I'm recasting the priest. Okay, okay with, great. With great yes. choice for recast already. Paul Dano. <sighs> that is fucking fantastic. Yeah, I you know. didn't. You didn't. I know. You even called your shot. I know. And you did it. I know. I know. Wow, it's perfect. It's perfect. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that that adds weight to that character, hundred percent. That's great. Great job. And I think Paul Dano is a guy who's got an Oscar in his future. I'm good. I don't at, know I'm when good that's going to happen. I agree right. with you. I'm, I like I'm, that. Uh, Brendan, time machine recast. Yes, and I'm very glad both of you disagreed with me on my MVP because I'm about to recast your MVP. You're recasting Salieri. Yes, Monsieur Salieri. At least you didn't pick him as your MVP. Salud. Right. Okay. Right. right. At least you didn't pick him as your MVP, which I have done before. Yes. By the way. Yes. And so now I'm recasting more than once. Now I'm recasting your MVP. You're recasting the Oscar winner F. Murray Abrams. You bet. You bet. Okay. What do we uh, got here? Modern day Paul Giamatti. That's a weighty role. I feel like that's equal. Yeah, he could do it. I think he, he could do it. He I think Paul Giamatti do could do anything. He could do it. I think he'd do it better. There's it's not bad. It's not bad. No, it's not bad. But saying Paul Giamatti for anything, I feel like is is not bad. <laughs> it's not bad because he's quite good. Yeah, there's a there's a darkness to that character that that F. Murray Abram really taps into. I wonder if Giamatti can go that dark. It's pretty dark in uh, Billions. He's, he, uh, I haven't he, seen he Billions. Can get, he can get dark. He can get... Yeah, okay. He can do whatever. And he can get yeah. it. So right. it's, it's, that's interesting. John Adams, he's, you know... Interesting. Okay, so before we do our one to fives and try to figure out how we prep Amadeus for rankings, we have our uh, newly added recommendation section. So this is where we pick any movie that we think you might like if you enjoyed Amadeus. So if you watched Amadeus, got a kick out of it, this is what the three of us are going to throw into the mix. Artie's going to go first. If you like Amadeus, I I would recommend you watch Tin Cup. Interesting. Nice. Let's. Tin Cup. I love Tin Cup. I want to know where you're going with this. Tin Cup is about a super talented virtuoso golfer who doesn't really ever get it together. Cool. He, he never really has pupils. He doesn't teach anyone at the range. Drinking um, problem? Major drinking problem. Uh, you know, just squanders his talent, but the talent's there. And uh, ends up getting... He has a, He's competitive the whole movie with this other guy 
who uh, they went to college together, played together, who's not as good, but he's more successful. He knows how to work with the media. He knows how to make money doing yeah, it. He's not he as good. He's, he's not. He's not the artist. He's yeah. the mathematician. And Tin Cup uh, is the artist. I think if you like Amadeus, you'll like this. Great. I love Tin Cup. I love that choice. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Thanks. All right. There's the whimsical uh, love interest who kind of yeah, just knows. Renee, she's like, I don't know. I'm just going for Rene Russo. Rene Russo. Yeah. Yes. Cheech is uh, Chong. Is, one of them is Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah Cheech. 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 He's the caddy. He's Tin the Cup's caddy. caddy. Oh, and uh, a scene from that movie I love. We'll keep spoiler freeze. Don't spoil it. No, no, no. no. It's Cheech and Cheech and Costner get into a uh, fight, and uh, Costner just breaks all his clubs. Yep. You go. What are you going to break all your clubs? All of them, except for the nine. Yep. No, the seven iron. The seven iron. I hit my seven seven, like John Daly is great. (laughs) And he does the whole. And he's he's just the seven. He's he's got to show off. He's got to be. He's got to go above and beyond. He awesome. can't just he can't just do what he knows what what would work for him. He has to. Go, it's such. A, Ooh, I right, really nice, nice offbeat tie there. I like it. Yeah, Thanks. Like yeah, it. real offbeat. Uh, Brendan, this yeah. is your first. This is your first this, time delving into the recommend section time. here. Right. Yeah. So Christopher Nolan, uh, The Prestige. Love that movie. It has to do with rivalries, uh, Tesla, and Edison. It is. An amazing movie. It I really agree, and that's a um, great Brennan, recommendation. It's, that's a great choice. That uh, was, was that yours, Karen? Uh, you no, it wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. Are you mad you didn't pick it? But I just saw The Prestige for the first time recently. Oh, oh yeah. I saw uh, it in theaters when it came out. Oh, wow. Okay, a couple I months ago. This has been driving me nuts over the last couple of days. Because after watching Amadeus, I said to myself, I know that I've seen a movie recently mm. that gives off the same kind of jealous vibes of perfection i know i and i looked over the list of movies and i sit like i went through my watch list and i'm like damn it what is it, it was driving me nuts yeah. and then like i just convinced myself that it was a south park episode and i just moved on <laughs> uh but great choice and that yeah. was 100 percent what i was thinking of just, the artist it, and the mathematician the guy trying to perfectly do it technically right. versus the guy who's With really no committing to it yeah. boy and really talk about a movie we don't want to give spoilers to because that movie's an experience you, that's like tied for my top Nolan I haven't decided it's Batman Begins or that those and, are I have them both right there and I'm just trying to decide which one I would say is my number one right I, now I'd say it's Batman Begins but Prestige is right on its heels and I think Prestige is very much a forgotten Nolan film it's uh, I don't hear people talk about it the way they I separate the Batmans from the other Nolans. It's the best non-Batman. Oh, I think it's so. definitely the best non-Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you, you can't hate David Bowie in a film. David Bowie's fantastic in yes. his Tesla. Yeah, yeah. great, uh, great choice, both of you. Awesome. Okay, so I went with a movie. I feel like I've been talking about a lot lately, but it just tied in so perfectly with this one in, in a lot of ways, and in some ways are a little spoilery. So I'm not going to get too much into it. Uh, mine's an animated film, and it is a musical animated film, and it's Coco. Uh, it's Disney's Coco. Oh, yeah. So many of the themes that are in this movie, jealousy, striving to be a musician, striving to make your name as a musician despite being yeah. uh, held back by family, that's in there. A lot of the smaller themes, and then the idea of your memory fading away uh, is very much a part of this, too. In the... In the ending scene of this movie which we didn't really talk too much about it he's just i'm stuck here watching people 
admire Mozart while my memory fades into obscurity. Right. And uh, that's a major theme of that movie. I just recommend anybody to go out there who has Disney+, Plus, put that movie on, watch it with your kids, watch it as an adult by yourself, whatever you want to do. It is a movie that will reduce you to tears. It is an important film. I think it's probably one of the best animated movies I've ever seen. And I think it's a movie that should have been up for Best Picture, and that's I think it's a, was yeah, it was one of the best movies of the decade. Chris, Chris, G, Chris G on this podcast says it's the best animated movie he's ever seen. Ever, yeah. Ever. So I highly recommend for you to make that a priority, and not for nothing. I think you should make Prestige a priority. I think you should make Tin Cup a priority. Those are all great movies. They're they're all great movies. The other movie you should see if you like Milos Forman is Man on the Moon. He directed that as well. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Yeah. Yeah, just that was another his, yeah. a, another artist surrounded by people, mm. and the it's he's not understood. He's he's just his own thing. He's his own yeah. thing in this world, and it's it's funny, but it's not. It's like ah, it's. I have a problem it, with Courtney you, Love, I guess, a little bit. It's, <laughs> she's weird. Has a problem with Courtney Love. <laughs> she's weird. She doesn't take away from the movie though, because Milos because Milos yeah. Forman's a good director. He's not going to put it in if she doesn't. She's a great act, actress, actually, in that movie. She's and, very and, good. And if you're going to cast... It's just knowing her history with right, Kurt right. Cobain is, yeah, whatever. But. If you're going to cast character faces and stuff, Courtney Love's a good character face. It works. Yeah. yeah. The movieie's good. It's true. Yeah, it's and good Kent, movie. it's an interesting career for me, And the guy really doesn't... Dude, you can go through the guy's whole catalog of every shot yep. he's ever put in a movie. They might all be perfect. Yeah, People versus Larry Flint is another one. That, that was uh, another recommendation I was for, thinking uh, about. Nominated for Best weird, Director. Yeah, yeah, Woody Harrelson's always... And I watched that movie, and I'm like, why is this movie so good? Why am I so into this movie? Well, this is kind of like... Thing, Courtney Love's in that. Is she really? Oh, wow. Yeah, she she had a career. She, she did well. She's talented. Okay, so this is where we put the movie into the BPC calculator... We go one to five with our three different categories here. The first category is the performances. The second is how the movie is shot, how it's presented, what we see. The third category, themes, how the movie's told, the story, all that stuff. So one to five, one being has absolutely no business being nominated for Best Picture. Five is a slam dunk quality of a Best Picture winner. We'll start with performances. Brendan, how are the performances in this movie one to five. Strangely enough, I'll give this one a three. And, that, three. and the reason is that, uh, you know, we've pointed to multiple characters that were irrelevant and not good. Uh, the ones who were great were great. And the one, and then, th- there's not a lot of characters here. So mm-hmm. the ones who were, gr- were great and the ones who weren't great were pretty useless. Uh, and that's why I'm going right in the middle. You thought the back end of the cast lagged a little bit. Exactly. Okay, okay. Artie, one to five. I disagree. I gave it a five. I liked most performances in this. I thought it was hard to find an LVP. Two incredible performances. I give it a five. Yeah, I'm going to give it a five also. Uh, I thought that the top end of this was as top end as it gets. I thought the supporting actors and the supporting roles did, did their job and they did everything that was asked for them. I think that it's rare when you get a movie where you could have two guys who easily could have won Best Actor for the Year in the same movie, nominated for the same year, where they actually were in position to do so. And so many so, scenes together, too. Like, it, in the same scenes. You're in the same scenes and you're both being nominated yeah, for Best Actor. And it's a lot of kind of what I felt with Beauty and the Bounty, too, where you just have, you know, that one had three. 
who were up for Best Actor and all deserved it. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it's a five. And I think F. Murray Abrams' performance is, is all time. It's all time. It's all time. It's all and, time. And, and Mozart's I, is too, though. It's all time. Yeah, like, I think Tom, yeah, Tom, Tom Olsen's is, is really, really good too. And it's, it sucks it's that he got it slightly overshadowed, at, at least in the eyes of the Academy. How the movie shot, the cinematography, how it's presented to the viewer, Artie, one to five. Five. I'm a cinematography guy. It's really well shot. Everything's well shot. It picks camera angles very intelligently. Uh, camera moves very well. Everything moves very well on screen. Uh, color scheme's awesome. It's it's cinematography. It's it's five. Brendan. This is where I'm a total five. I agree with you. Uh, we talked about the lighting. Placement of characters, where they sit, who they're sitting next to. It's perfect. It's well thought out. Everything between their entrances, their exits, it's it's perfect. I am going to join the party with this one and give this one a five as well. I mean, it, there's just simply nothing wrong with how this movie's presented. It, it's just done so well. It's perfect. And I, I, I'm a big, I lean a lot towards big swooping landscapes and these movies that are going to take your breath away the David Lean style movies. This was a stage play. And it was a stage play that didn't call for that. However, the director said, this can o- this movie can only be filmed in three cities. And if we don't get it in one of those three cities, I'm not doing it. And, 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 and I think that decision there just really took this movie to the next level. It's Made it so authentic. It's interesting, too, because everything is filmed not everything, but for the most part, most of the movie is filmed inside. And you don't really get that sense. They're big rooms, they're very elaborate rooms. So a lot of times when it's filmed inside, you get the theater that it's, oh, it's just a reproduction of the theater piece. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And it's honestly, not a landscape the, movie. The, the shot of them composing, when Mozart is oh, composing, yeah. he's acting to a camera right below him. Great. But not, yeah. those are never forgettable shots. Once yep. you see them yep. composing like that, you will never forget those shots. Yep. And, and Absolutely. I, no matter who you are. And I love after, it, it is really a grandiose shot, and then you get a shot of the crowd. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. 25 it's people clapping. Real light clap. Or, or the Muppet, the Muppet. Hecklers up in the cra- up in the balcony. <laughs> right. One of them literally takes Slimer. two fingers and slightly slides the curtain to look across, <laughs> and there's another guy sneering back at him like, <laughs> "Come on, we want the some more Salieri." The emperor we do, we do like to give love to cinematographers here in this podcast, and Miroslav Andrzejczyk was the cinematographer for this one. He also did. Along with Milos Forman, uh, Hair, which was Milos Forman's like musical in 1979, his post Cuckoo's Nest project, he did Awakenings, which was nominated for Best Picture That's in 1990. With Ro- Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro and, on that one. Yes. Um, okay. Wait, Robert De Niro oh. and Robin Williams. Is well, Robin Williams in that too? Yeah. Robin Williams is the doctor. Robert De Niro has like he's 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 in a yeah. basically he's a vegetable. And whatever oh. medical treatment they give him, he Parkinson's, comes back, becomes yeah. a completely normal person again for a short amount of time. And then it degrades, yeah. Oh, and then we just spoiled that movie. So anyway, go see Awakening. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've already covered that year. That was the uh, Goodfellas uh, Silence and Lies. Uh, I should have done the Mozart laugh instead of my laugh. <laughs> that uh, that would have been good. Fuck. Yeah, yeah Awakenings was a, was a Best Picture, and I think De Niro was up for Best Actor in that as well. I that was I never knew what that movie was, and I saw it one day in high school, and I I was blown wow. away by 
the entire movie, the premise, and both of their performances. Also, a baseball movie that uh, I definitely love is uh, A League of Their Own, cinematographer of A League of Their Own. Good movie. Another tight movie. Yeah, well shot. Well shot movie. That is an unbelievable movie. Yeah, yeah that's, really that's tight. Well shot. Good cinematographer. There. Good is cinematographer. Yeah. These guys make movies, man. They make it's, movies. But that's a well-written, funny movie. Yep. Uh, great character arcs. Decent yeah. acting. Madonna's in oh, it. Rosie O'Donnell's in it. It's the best oh. you're gonna get out of Rosie O'Donnell and. Oh, that's Madonna. the best Rosie O'Donnell you will get. And that's great. definitely peak Rosie O'Donnell. We can oh, agree on she's that. She's great. Right? Yeah, I'd like to. Oh, uh, maybe curb your enthusiasm. Maybe curb your enthusiasm. And the third category is themes. How the story's told. I'll go first to to clinch my clean sweep. It's going to be a five. I think this movie is deeper than it needs to be. It is. It does more than is called upon it to do. It is a movie that can probably invoke a feeling out of you that's different every time you see it. You could probably find something different out of it wherever you are in your life, whatever age you may be. I think it's an awesome movie about professionalism and about uh, striving to be the best you can be and what the costs are of that. I think that this movie was told damn near perfectly. I give it a five. I would give this a four. I think there were there were it's a three hour movie. We talked about how I mean, already wants it to be a five hour movie with an intermission, maybe Four a Netflix hour. episodic. Yeah, right. I think that there were things that were left out that they wanted to add in, um, and they could have added. I, I'm with Artie on four hour with an intermission. You thought that it should, could have been long. Should have been longer. Should have been longer. There were things they could have added in to the storyline that mm. they didn't. You know. Artie, one five. five. A five five fiver from both of us. Anything to add on to the to why you give it a five there? No, nothing to add. Yeah. It's it's yeah. clear cut. So that being said, it's a five 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 for me and already Brendan. You had you held it back a little bit. You put five, it four, a, three. A, a three five four. Right. Now thinking about where it might land in a one to ninety two, I'll say that I think I'm gonna have a very hard time ranking this movie when we when it comes to our. Our rankings episode in May. It is a it's a weird one to rank. I, I just I'll, let me jump on that. One of my thoughts with ranking this movie is I feel like I need to see fifty more movies before I can. But even this just somewhere. ranking it within Probably. the ones that you've seen that we've covered, it's very hard. It's just it's it's hard to place this it's movie so up against other movies. It is its own thing, right? See, that's funny. So I had lower rankings with the categories you have. For me, this is top five. You think it's going to end up top five if you saw all ninety two? Yeah. So none of those movies are going to get a 5.5, five, 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 five. Five. <laughs> is what you're saying? Uh, probably. I could see it being top third for me. Top third. Okay, yeah. Like so 35. Top 30, yeah. You know, hmm. 33 to 35. It's hard to find a flaw in it. There's movies I like more than it. It's but hard. It, it might even move up. I, but I haven't seen all the movies. I haven't seen all 92. That's not- so I, I probably haven't seen about 30 of them or something the, like that. But the question isn't, isn't what would you prefer watching? No, it's what What's do you think movie? it would rank? What would you give if it's up against these other movies? Is it getting the Oscar or the other movies getting the Oscars? Right. Really What's a better movie? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to choose. It's tough. This is a hard one. Yeah. It's a hard one because it's really well made. It's hard to say anything negative about it. Yeah, I, I, have to, I haven't given too many of the five five fives out. I've given... A few though, like it's to me, like to me, anything in the top twenty-five should get a five-five-five because the five-five-fives are for what does it display the qualities of the best picture winner? It's not is it the best movie of all time, and I think that this really does display every quality you'd ask it to. Right, 
But now if I put it, I don't think it's Meals Forms' best movie. I think that Cuckoo's Nest is Meals Forms' best movie. I agree with that. So you can look at that right there. But now we're we're now we're comparing now. But now we're comparing Hattori Hanzo swords to Hattori Hanzo swords. Right, and we're going to have to do that. It's unfortunately at some point this. But this how do you compare a Hattori Hanzo sword against any? You, can, you only well, compare you, it against every other. Hattori someone's got to get sword. the statue. One to ninety-two. I'm going to. I'm going to just start this by saying this one is going to surprise me wherever I put it. In the end, I, I, it's very hard to forecast. I'm interested into what the hell we're going to do when we get to our top. Th- when we get to our 30 in May and we rank the 30 movies we've covered at that point where this one will be even in looking at the ones we've done like how do you compare this to The Departed how do you compare this to Rain Man how do you compare this to Sound of Music it's all very interesting so I, I want to say that it's probably already top touching the top third like yeah, you said I think it's probably around where it is like around could be as high as 25 could be as low as 35 pushing 40. I, gotta I fig- don't think it's in the bottom half. I, 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 I got to figure I know what the bottom third is. You know, you got to figure the bottom thirds is the bottom third. So now there's two thirds left to deal with. This is in the middle of that somewhere. Maybe a little higher. Yeah. Because it's perfect. It really is very, it's very well made. That will be interesting when we get there. But as we say at the top, it's not a Who Should Have Won podcast, but we do go over... The other nominees that year. We're going to get a whole bunch of 80s nominees here. Now, I've been trying to watch at least one of these every episode. I didn't get around to it this time. And it bothers me a little bit because there is a David Lean movie in here. His last last nomination for Best Picture. And I'll start with that one. It's A Passage to India. A big production, as David Lean tends to do. It's a cultural mistrust and false accusations doom a friendship in British colonial India. Between an Indian doctor and English woman. An English woman engaged to marry a city magistrate and an English educator. So a grand sweeping affair in uh, in India and And once again a David Lean movies info doesn't do it justice. I'm sure, yeah. And it was one I wanna see, but again, you know, like all David Lean movies, we're talking about three <laughs> plus hours and it just didn't fit into my week here. But I I have I've had it on my list, I'll have it on my list moving forward. Of course, Sir Alec Guinness is in there, as he always is. It's like a geographical movie, movie a, lot of, a lot of landscapes and scenes. Yep, like Lawrence Arabia is in that, in that same world, and uh, Zhivago, as well as... Bridge on the River. So that's a passage to India, and that one took home score. No score, no original score for, for Amadeus, of course, because it's all existing Yeah, it's all, it's all Amadeus' <laughs> right. music. Next one is a movie I have not heard of. It's a, this was one that I eyed because just of the, the runtime, an hour and 50 minutes. Uh, a PG movie directed by Robert Benton. It's called Places in the Heart. In central Texas in the 1930s, a widow with two small children tries to run her small 40-acre farm with the help of two disparate people. Disparate. I don't know why. I, I don't know why I feel like I've seen that movie. It's a it's a big acting nominee so one. Uh, Sally Field yeah. gets nominated and. Uh, John Malkovich gets nominated as well. Uh, you also have Ed Harris. You also have Danny Glover. I've seen this. Of, I've seen this movie. Really? When I was a kid. I've seen this Ooh. movie. Terry O'Quinn from I haven't seen it in a long Channel time. Movie? Couldn't tell you about it, but I bet if I watched it, I'd think a bunch of scenes were familiar. Wow, I've okay. seen this movie. Hmm. Okay, next is A Soldier's Story. It's directed by Norman Jewison. We'll talk about Norman Jewison with 
in the heat of the night. He also directed The Hurricane, the Denzel. So a soldier's story is an African-American officer investigates a murder in a racially charged situation in World War II. Okay, I just never heard of this movie. Don't know anything about it. Yeah. Don't recognize any of the actors. So this Mo- seems like one that I'm going to attack in a little bit. Moving on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that leaves... This is one that I have had my eye on that I've, I've wanted to kind of look at and watch. It's The Killing Fields. I don't know if you've heard of this one. It's uh, I've heard of Sam it. Watterson is the lead actor in it. Uh, Sam Watterson's our, our dad's lookalike, the Law & Order guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's nominated for Best Actor. <laughs> oh, he had a career before TV. Cool. Oh, my God. He's such a lookalike. And uh, also John Malkovich in this one, too. Hang War wins supporting actor in this one. A journalist is trapped in Cambodia during Tyrant Palpot's bloody Year Zero cleansing campaign, which claimed the lives of two million undesirable civilians. Yeah, so heavy-duty subject material there. Who, but, deems, uh, who deems them undesirable? The, 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 the government? Uh, you guys are undesirable civilians. Tyrant Pol Pot. Jeez. Mm. Yeah. Paul Pot. Yeah, Pot's a, yeah. Anytime uh, we talk about tyrants and cleansing, it never really goes. Serious well. socialist, fascist. Uh, yeah, not not right good. So, so yeah, you're talking. That's I don't. Um, well, Cambodia. Yeah, jeez. Pol Pot. Scary stuff. Like you want to do the the numbers of killings of fascists. Pol Pot's up in top five. Is yeah, is that right? Well, yeah. yeah I don't. I'm I've not, never heard of it. I'm never. I'm not familiar with it either. But that's a movie I've I've had. I've had my eye on. Um, Sam Watterson was nominated for Best Actor. Ooh, tough yeah. year to be nominated. Tough year, yes. Yeah, there's a movie with, t- with two God, heavy condenters that, in it. If, yeah, you know what? If F. Murray Abraham, since he won, I bet you Halsey came in second. I think he did, too. Yeah, I think he did, too. Because we talk about how many times he split the vote and you don't end up getting there, but yeah. here's one where it didn't matter. He just flat out won anyway. Yeah. So Now, here's kind of the point where I'm going with this, though is this is a big year in movies, and these are kind of ho-hum nominees here. And listen to these other movies that came out this year that received Oscar nominations in other categories. Now, these aren't all Best Picture caliber movies, but I'm just going to give you a list of movies that were nominated for movies. Ghostbusters, we mentioned that. Mm. Uh, Karate Kid. The Natural. Indiana Jones, The Temple of Doom. Footloose. Beverly Hills Cop. Purple Rain. The Muppets Take Manhattan. And Splash. So those are just movies that did get nominations. And here are two that did not. Nightmare on Elm Street, okay, which is genre. Yeah, it's genre, genre. It's, they're going to keep that out. That makes sense. Terminator. Also kind of genre. A little but, too ahead of its time. Yeah, great movie. And that's, but that's kind of my point, though, is that the 80s just was too often a victim of things were too ahead of its time. They thought that everyone wanted to see... These giant three-hour, let's stick a camera out in a field for a while and watch someone run around. Like, there, there was some real cutting-edge stuff going on in the 80s that they just, the Academy just, it just went right over their head. And you know what annoys me there is that Temple of Doom gets in there where... That movie sucks. Not only is it a sequel... It wins two that's awards, That's genre, too. It's yeah, well, it, it wins, uh, it wins visual it, effects. And, yeah, yeah, that's the worst out of the three. By far. Term, yeah. That's... I like how you say out of the three. We're not counting Kingdom of the Crystal uh, That's why I said oh, out of the three. Don't be saying out of the three. I know, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Oh, God, Kingdom of Jesus. <laughs> exactly. um, I like how you say that, because yeah. I agree with you. It's the best out of the three. It's the worst out of the three. 
Yes, yeah, we so don't count. We don't count one. the fourth. We don't because speak that's of not a that. Real movie. We don't speak of that. <laughs> if you look at the nominees for Best Picture throughout the whole decade of the eighties, is you just see how out of touch that they are. And if you look at this ones in the seventies, you see is, some great movies, yeah. like up and down great movies. The eighties, they're just they're they just are not in touch. I will say this though: this is the best, or has to be a contender for one of the best years of original songs in a movie because there are five absolute bangers right. up for song this year Let's okay and we mentioned prince who's not even up in this category he's an original score so he did the wow. score for his movie i think that maybe his songs were, were previously written for the movie but we have two footloose songs so footloose Great. by kenny yeah. kenny loggins kenny loggins awesome guy just makes soundtrack yeah, it's movies a, it's a song that still plays on radio soundtrack songs. he also did uh, top gun uh yes yeah yeah that's not how that song goes. <laughs> and on the other song, the other song from Footloose is "Let's Hear It for the Boy." Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. The boy. That's what he's teaching. He's teaching the cowboy yeah. hat guy. How Still to, plays how to dance. on radio today. Still Let's plays on radio today. Boys. Against wow. All Odds by Phil Collins. This is a serious ah, good year. Good good Against Jesus. All Odds is like a super power yeah. battle that you will hear if you watch The Voice or you the American Idol. you were reading really off winners Collins, for five song. straight years, I believe you. Seriously. How about Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr.? That song is so underrated. Yeah. It is so good. Awesome. The guy wrote and performed it I and really crushed no it. Those could be winners. All four of those could be winners. Those are all the runners-up. And the winner is the living legend... The great Stevie Wonder, for I just called to say I love you, from the movie Woman in Red. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen yeah, that movie. He wins because he's Stevie yeah, Wonder there, Stevie and, and that's fine. But still a pretty bomb song. Powerhouse. Yeah, great song. A great song. And, and he's Stevie might Wonder. be the best song in that group. Yeah, yeah. So it's you have it those, is. but you have those five songs in there that could win it any year. I can. I can. I wish the best picture nominees were that good. I can see why Stevie won. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wonder, well, gentlemen, wonder why I said that. Nice recovery. I'm logging it in my. Uh... <laughs> oh, good, <laughs> good. Okay, I think I'm afraid of several ghosts now. Uh, we're <laughs> we've reached the end of another podcast. We have closing thoughts, Brennan. You want to throw anything out there to, at the end of uh, Amadeus here? Yeah, that I I hope the soundtrack of my life is Kenny Loggins, um, <laughs> and that I really believe. Top five, top fiver. You know, hey, I mean, I don't think that I don't think that that's that crazy bold a statement. Already, closing thoughts. If you're looking for a movie that exemplifies what a best picture winner should look like, this is that movie. And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is that movie. The, the Milo's Foreman has is good at that. This movie does it all perfectly. Yeah. Great acting, great casting. It's got it all. Just if you want to watch a Best Picture winner, this is the one to watch. Yeah, I mean, I had fun talking about this, guys. I will say, if for whatever reason you made it to the end of this and you have not seen Amadeus, go and watch the movie. It's a great movie if we haven't convinced you already. That's it. I mean, it, this was another good one, boys. Uh, we starting off a starting off a new year the right way. Can't wait uh, for what's to come, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a good year. And we have our our anniversary day coming up. It's gonna be a good one here, February first, Platoon. I speak for mediocrities everywhere, where I say thanks for listening, and we'll get you next time. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have that ESP. <laughs>